Welcome to Necropolis. Um, this is a very special episode. One, because I think it's the first episode that Jason will not be attending. Um, so you'll have me as the uh, the host today, Shelley. Um, and the reason he's not attending is because, in his own words, he doesn't want to talk about Pizza Fresh. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you could see the um, albums we have before us, obviously... That was Jason being a little bit trite, but uh, yeah, it's not his scene today, so he's he's decided to bow out. Uh, but to compensate for that, we do have the return of um, Joseph April, who will be uh, joining us today to discuss some of these. So uh, great to have you back, Joseph. Thank you, Shelley. Hi, everyone out there. And apologies, uh, dealing with a cold, so might be a little gravelly. No worries. Uh, your voice actually sounds pretty smooth to me so uh and uh tyler who was also dealing with a bit of a sore throat because he was watching samoth yesterday so yeah good to have you on tyler yeah yeah no problem that was actually uh friday night but yeah did a lot of screaming at the concert so my uh voice is a little shredded but try my best to be nice and clear for you guys <laughs> good stuff okay so yeah it's a bit of a uh, an odd one today we just decided to pick like thrash speed heavy metal albums basically not extreme metal so not death metal black metal which is our usual wheelhouse um so we've all submitted five albums uh rafael was going to join as well but unfortunately he has another commitment but he's still submitted um some albums as well so if we get time we're going to discuss them um so the list obviously um some of the there's quite a diverse list so we're not going to be making direct comparisons um between most of them although some of them are uh, of a very similar kind of ilk um but yeah that's why the 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 album picks look a little bit random today um but we'll just hop straight into it with um tyler's first pick so i'll hand over to tyler to introduce his first pick which is uh, cryptic slaughter convicted yeah, Cryptic Slaughter, Convicted, uh, one of my favorite albums. I'm a really big fan of this strange micro-genre, I suppose you could call it. Some people refer to it as crossover, although the albums I picked are kind of almost pre-crossover, I suppose you could say. Uh, albums from these bands before they started incorporating more uh, thrash metal riffs or speed metal riffs or whatever you want to call it. Cryptic Slaughter, especially on this album, I think falls into that camp. They have a lot more of the uh, hardcore punk influence going on. But even on this album by Cryptic Slaughter, you can begin to hear a certain form of extremity, um, really flowing riffs that I think actually were a big influence on the uh, burgeoning death metal scene that was to come, uh, especially in Swedish death metal. Um but also in the in the American death metal scene as well. Cryptic Slaughter on this album has a really awesome sense, and in some ways this applies to all of the thrash albums that I picked almost, of uh, stripping down the music to be just a, a stream of melody almost. Uh, also, this album is very angry. Um, Cryptic <laughs> Slaughter is a pretty angry band. Um but yeah, this album is a classic, in my opinion. I still listen to it quite regularly. There's a lot of uh, really memorable riffs on this song, despite the fact that the uh, on this album, despite the fact that the album can almost sound just like a stream of uh, really raw pendulum-picked power chords. Um, you have uh, songs like uh, "Low Life" that has that really uh, catchy. Uh, Tom beat with the uh, 
riff that kind of follows around with the rhythm of it at the beginning. Um, yeah, I think that Cryptic Slaughter really kind of almost innovated uh, a style of riffing on this album that you hear carried on and developed further with some proto-death and black metal bands like uh, Slayer, for instance. Um, and we're also kind of moving forward further uh, that kind of style of riffing, that flowing drone melody style of riffing that you also hear pioneered perhaps a little earlier, if I'm not mistaken, by an album we're going to be discussing later. Uh, I think it was one of Shelley's picks, uh, Discharge. Um, so yeah, Shelly, I don't know if you have any kind of comments on, uh, convicted by cryptic slaughter, but I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the, uh, like very, very, as you mentioned, very, very angry album, but it's like the very, very ugly cousin of the DRI album dealing with it in that there are some similarities there, but cryptic slaughter's way more feral, um, way more like, um, almost unpredictable in a way because you you will get some sort of plodding moments where they they build to something but then they'll just burst into like a, a cacophony of like percussive punches and yeah as you met as you mentioned you can clearly hear that on like the proto death metal of the time um when i was re-listening to it i was drawing comparisons with the very sort of extreme thrash metal bands like sadus and yeah obviously slayer as well um sepultura to some extent um so yeah you kind of it's sort of a punk band playing proto death metal almost is kind of how it presents itself and yeah you kind of you really do get the sense that 86 uh very important year um was lots going on in terms of like just people pushing the boundaries but really kind of um exploring how metal and punk can interact and collide with each other and antagonize each other uh but also yeah out of it you get these really oddball kind of moments and yeah it doesn't really sound like many other fresh crossover albums in that sense it does it does stand apart um so yeah that, that that's my thoughts on it. i mean where where would you rank it tyler i would think i think i would rank it at it's well, I guess I have a question. Are we ranking these in the context of these albums, or are we ranking these in the context of all of the music we enjoy? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as I said in the introduction, it's probably not fair to compare some of them because they're not really that similar. Um, so I guess in the context of all music... <laughs> okay, in that case, I would probably put it at about an A. Uh, I will say as a quick aside before I uh, uh, before we have Joseph give his comments on it that uh, it's cool that you mentioned Sepultura as a comparison you drew because as uh, we all know I am a huge fanboy of Morbid Visions um, and I think that's a neat comparison to draw that hearing some of their influence and in, uh, Sepultura also wanted to mention that you do hear uh, basically uh, some of the earliest uses of uh, what could be called a blast beat on this album, talking about its uh, influence on death metal to come. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, yeah, so, uh, Joseph, what are your thoughts on this? Um, unfortunately, um, there's probably about three albums looking out of the whole list that I'm not the most super familiar with. Um, I know I've listened to Cryptic Slaughter before, um, and unfortunately, leading up to this, I, I forgot to give it a fresh listen. Um, 
but I mean, from what I remember going along with what all you guys said, I know this is like a legendary album in terms of that crossover, you know, hardcore punk, like burgeoning on thrash metal scene. Um, so certainly, you know, anyone who's interested in the beginnings and roots of the genre, like I know this is an important album for that. Um, I am aware that I think Napalm Death have covered them a number of times. So I think certainly in the history of, of that band, Cryptic Slaughter was a very important band. And I know other death metal bands have covered them as well. So certainly a band that if you're looking for the roots of, you know, extreme metal, that's an album you're going to want to pick up. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Actually, we didn't mention like the fact that this basically led directly into grindcore as well um and i mean they're, they're, you know they're all coming they're all of the same stock i guess they're all sort of coming at it from the same angles and drawing on the same influences because at the time there wasn't that much of this music around so they were all sort of drawing on the same source but drawing very different like conclusions from it um so yeah in terms of ranking i think i tend to agree with tyler in terms of an a so i'm just gonna whack it up there unfortunately we can't do um what is it like in betweeny rankings on this? Because it won't let me because I'm using the tier list baker. But um, we'll just yeah. It's 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 it'll be interesting how this goes because um, <laughs> I'm looking at my album selections and I would fight very ferociously for any of them being lower than an A. And and since these are our favorites, I kind of feel like we're all going to be doing that to a certain extent. To some extent, yeah. Unless we move on to Raphael's, where I'll have some comments. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the same. Don't worry, Joseph. Uh, just about every album on this list, except for sorry, Raphael. Some of Raphael's picks are albums I really like, so I think that you'll be all right with uh, yeah. arguing for their place. Well, that being said, I have some comments on your next choice, Tyler. Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, so maybe you want to just uh, discuss that one. Eye for an eye is was Tyler's pick. Yeah, this will be fun then. Uh, so do you want uh, extreme, um, blasty, thrashy uh, crossover, but with some Black Sabbath riffs? Because that's what you're going to get with Corrosion of Conformity on Eye for an Eye. Uh, I'm a really big fan of this album as well. I think that I don't quite like it as much as uh, Convicted by Cryptid Sla Cryptic Slaughter, but that's just by comparison. Um, it is another thrash album that I listen to uh, quite often. Um, they have, uh, just like all of the thrash albums, the big thing about, that I enjoy, the draw to it for me is the sort of, uh, stripping down the music to a flow of melody and their talent for sculpting melody. Um, but with the addition of those kind of doomy Sabbath riffs, which was also maybe a portent of bad things to come for this band much later in their career, um, that you kind of get these awesome conflicts between that, uh, that doomy sense of uh, riffing and the blasting, flowing uh, kind of power chord uh, thrash riffing, uh, which really kind of uh, conveys this sense of, and this could perhaps be said of many of thrash bands of the time, of uh, uh, extreme sense of uh, social alienation, um, which definitely, I think, lines up with some of the subject matter of the album. So, yeah, Eye for an Eye is... Uh, really awesome example once again of this early thrash scene like i said this album with corrosion of conformity is kind of from that period of the thrash scene that was before it perhaps fully developed into what we call crossover proper 
when many of these bands were writing still short form hardcore punk influenced songs structurally but uh, later on began to use much more obvious thrash metal or speed metal riffs um, all of these bands began doing that a little later on especially corrosion of conformity and dri um, but here you get this really awesome dirty uh, kind of um, in some ways like black sabbath and motorhead influence kind of contrast between riffs you also hear that a bit in the sort of gruff uh motorhead influence kind of uh in the vocals um so yeah for this album i would um it's really difficult for me to decide on whether putting it uh, to whether put it at an a or a b but i would probably lean towards I would actually probably lean towards an A. I'm going to have to do that because of how often <laughs> I listen to the album. I would almost put it at a B. But Shelley, how do you feel about Eye for an Eye? Well, yeah. Um, I've not listened to it for got about 10 years uh, before you submitted it. And it's not as bad as I remember um, because I don't, yeah, I don't think I was expecting it to be quite as sloppy as it actually is. Um, and it's one, it's one of these oddball um albums a bit like neurosis's debut as well and that they just obviously went in a completely different direction quite quickly after that into the sort of sludge and uh doomy kind of style which again i didn't really get on with um but this yeah this feels like a band that's again sort of like a punk band playing heavy metal in a lot of ways and there are moments across the album as you mentioned that kind of where they do seem to kind of get a grip of themselves and play something quite coherent and you know actually quite compelling at times in terms of that that apocalyptic kind of feel that you only really get from 80s extreme punk um where it is it has that sense of urgency that sense of like finality to it um but it is mixed within um some very very sloppy kind of playing not that that's a detriment in itself but it does feel like they're not quite in control of what they're doing especially in the uh, vocal department as well um and there's just aspects of that that kind of take me out of the moment i guess you're more of a purist in this regard tyler than me because i um it's i sort of sometimes struggle to see past the um its flaws in terms of like the the sloppy playing and the production and sort of writing that doesn't quite make sense to me uh, but I'd still say, like, it's not nearly as bad as people say. It is kind of dismissed in the corrosion of conformity discography because, like I said, it's very different to where they went. And I think a lot of fans of the later style come to this and just get a bit confused because it's not even sort of, not even very slick, um, even by sort of hardcore punk standards. Um, so, yeah, I, I have to credit it for being a curiosity, if nothing else. But I think I would probably put it as a B as well. Um, yeah, Joseph, what, what are your thoughts? Um, again, this is one of the ones that, uh, you know, I feel like I'm on repeat, but I swear it's only three of these, uh, that I'm not <laughs> as super familiar with. Um, a lot of the later corrosion conformity is definitely kind of more my wheelhouse, even that earlier era before pepper kind of took over the band and definitely let it more sludgy Sabbathy. Um, although clearly it was there already from the beginning with Sabbath, um, but yeah, even for the early days, Animosity or Blind are the albums I kind of pull up more often. Um, but, you know, I certainly 
can respect someone who who would say this is the best of the early era because it is definitely i think probably the most primal and feral of the albums um from that time period uh i do think just compared to a lot of the rest of the band discography this is not the album i pull up the most animosity is awesome so i'll give you that one cool where, where are you thinking like a b yeah, I think, like, if, and honestly, looking at all of Tyler's choices, I mean, they're all solid. I think this is the most B-leaning one compared to the others. Okay. I'm going to stick it in a B. Can you live with that, Tyler? <laughs> I can, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, so uh, no such qualms about this next album. Uh, DRI, dealing with it. Uh Tyler, do you want to introduce this one? Absolutely. And I'm glad you feel the same way because this album is probably the best one out of my picks, in my opinion. Um, And out of this style and this period of uh, crossover or thrash or whatever you want to call it, I feel like this may be about the best entry. Um, DRI definitely has a lot of similarities in some ways with the other uh, picks in this style that I chose and with other bands and from the uh, from this era with the flowing uh, very furious um, and abrupt um, power chord riffing but where they kind of move forward from those bands is they really have an awesome sense of uh, kind of narrative composition and uh, with incorporating a much wider variety of technique to almost create a theatrical sense of song construction based around the topic of the piece, you know, whether you have nursing home blues um, or uh, give my taxes back um, and uh, other pieces of uh, that nature, uh, couch slouch, um, you uh, really have uh, this kind of idea that the song should sound like uh, the kind of essence or uh, meaning of um, what the song is about. And DRI kind of, I feel, excel at that on this album. Uh, Really, I think, uh, a necessary album almost for understanding how this kind of narrative theatrical sense of song construction was developed further by heavy metal from this point forward in thrash metal, in death metal, in black metal. Obviously, DRI was uh, an explicitly mentioned huge influence on uh, Slayer, which obviously was one of the foundational bands for the development of death metal. Um, So yeah, I personally would give this album an S ranking. But Shelly, how do you feel about dealing with it by DRI? Yeah, it's... um... It's one of the first albums of this style that I encountered, and um, it's still remarkable to me to this day because I've listened to it a lot over the years. It still has surprises. It, st- it still has new elements to it that come out when you re-listen to it. Whether it's a guitar solo that you didn't quite peg before, or as you say, like those those more complex songs as you get towards the end of the album, "Nursing Home Blooms" and uh, "Argument Then War" and things like that, where they really do i mean they're very simple uh, it's not you know prog rock or anything it's still in the sort of punk uh, family tree but it is very very intelligent the way it's constructed and um 
it's surprising how diverse it is as well you do get those like really short really simple just uh punch in the face uh punk numbers but you do also get some some longer tracks or tracks that feel quite long even though they are very compact um where they do just draw out quite a diverse array of ideas across the uh the riff craft um the lyrics obviously um are very kind of what's the word earnest because they're obviously very young at the time and they're very they're quite sort of heartfelt lyrics at times um but it really comes across that sense of sort of passion and desperation and urgency um so yeah that combined with um all the other elements just the unrelenting energy of it um really does make for quite a um quite compelling listen that's very very rare to get in this style um it's often one dimensional or it's dismissed as one dimensional and then people assume that you can be one dimensional when you play it but dri really showed how to um add layers of complexity and intelligence um to what is you know stereotypically quite primitive music um and they did it in a very kind of intuitive and sometimes catchy way um so yeah it's an album that still kind of um still has new things to offer and still kind of uncovering things about it to this day so yeah i would i would absolutely agree with with an s tier for that um so yeah joseph what are your thoughts um yeah i think this is one where we're all very much in agreement um dri uh it's funny actually when i was first exposed to it was um actually a cover that deceased did of the song Reaganomics on the uh behind the mourner's veil ep uh so that was actually my first exposure which i feel like a number of bands like it was some other band covering them first um and then when i got into them i think either the first or second album that i heard was dealing with it and it's funny because it is in a lot of ways has that like you know proto grind hardcore punk like really fast short songs sometimes barely a minute long um but then it hits into those like three minute ones where it really does get a bit more complex um and knowing myself you know i would think like i enjoy them up through thrash zone and i would think you know oh i'd enjoy those more because they are a bit more metal um this is the album i always come back to with them like if i had you know, someone was like, what's DRI's best album? I would say dealing with it. Um, also, it's one of the most memorable things ever in an album is the sample used in Mad Men of um, Kurt having an argument with his dad. And I think it's just so perfect for the idea of like some, you know, band in the 80s, like rehearsing in their parents' basement and the parents yelling and screaming, turn it down. Um it's 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 just the platonic ideal of that scenario that so many kids live through and and it's perfect for that it really is yeah that that always that always makes me chuckle to this day <laughs> um yeah just little little touches like that that um kind of give it that sort of like almost homely feel but they are also dealing with quite um you know, quite large themes throughout the album. Like some of the songs are, you know, more about personal struggles and stuff, but they also do touch on like why, again, that kind of late cold war kind of sense of urgency and, and apocalypticism, like apocalypticism. 
um the yeah it just it's all here in this album it all kind of it just sort of seems to define that that era that it came out of in a lot of ways um so yeah um definitely an s tier um so next up we've got um pro mags age of quarrel we're really working through the uh the punk numbers here um so tyler uh what do you make of pro mags well you picked it so i'm assuming quite highly but <laughs> yeah i do think pretty highly of this album and yeah as far as the punk numbers go i definitely went hard in that direction for uh this episode and that's just because when it comes to <laughs> excuse me um non-extreme metal um a lot of this stuff is some of my favorite stuff um you know i do like some classic heavy metal and things and that's going to become apparent on my next pick uh but uh but yeah this is a lot of the stuff that as far as non-extreme metal goes i listen to uh quite frequently and this album is another one that I listen to quite frequently. This album is interesting because in some ways it is more apparent in its hardcore influences than the three prior albums. But in other ways, it's got some more what I would consider clearly thrash metal or perhaps proto-thrash metal riffs going on. Uh, Age of Quarrel clearly is considered a classic by many people in both the heavy metal and hardcore punk scenes. Um, it had a massive impact upon both of those genres in many ways. Um, I'm a huge fan of it uh, because of all of the reasons in, or many similar reasons to my prior picks with the kind of stripping down melody to uh, flow and just sculpting that melody um, on, a, on a very raw level. Chromags on this album in particular makes use of a compositional device that I can be a huge fan of when done well, and I feel they do it well on this album, which is a kind of ring composition where they uh, sort of state an initial theme and then provide a contrasting theme and then return to the initial theme, but the return due to the development of the piece changes the contact context of that initial theme in a sort in a prismatic way so to speak and uh you i think that is really um of the bulk of the album is that kind of approach to songwriting and it really creates this um picture so so to speak of uh humanity which clearly in Cro-Mag's world is a very dark picture uh, a picture where um conflict is uh the driving force the driving motivational force behind much of the world at the time and arguably that hasn't changed very much since uh the time of age of quarrel uh we could perhaps say that we are still in the age of quarrel if not even more so um but yeah there's a lot of hard-hitting riffs on this album a lot of riffs that rhythmically are uh, very pummeling and uh very catchy in a certain way um and um, you uh, really get this uh, kind of idea that they feel that almost they start to imply that uh, you have to embrace conflict as part of life if you hope to overcome it. You kind of get a sort of summarization of that, like a summation of that idea, even in uh, the uh, uh, in the kind of one of the most frequently quoted pieces from the song. Uh, the world peace um, song, you know, world peace can't be done. It's almost as if they're denying the idea, the utopian ideal that you can have a world without conflict. So 
I would probably put this album at. I don't think I would put it in nest tier because I don't think it's as distinctive as dealing with it. But I would put it as an A tier. But how do you feel about it, about it, Shelley? Yeah, I think I'd I think I'd probably agree with an A. Um, so D- DRI, you kind of dealing with it, especially you get this I this sense of um, kids basically. Um, just looking at the world around them and wondering if they're going insane or the world around them is insane and just sort of th- the music that they produced was the only outlet for them to express the madness of it all whereas chromags you get a bit more of a world weariness um to them because you know there's a few songs on here sort of referencing the streets and things and they're much more like out there in the urban environment and as you mentioned tyler like that nihilism almost of kind of just accepting uh that uh conflict is just a fact of of life and um the outcome will not be pretty but you kind of you have to find a way to live with that um and it's yeah slightly more thuggish and um i don't want to say down to earth but just a bit more out in the world um what also strikes me about this album is it's relatively slow for a thrash crossover album like some of the riffs the the opening riff on the the first track for instance is very doomy um and you get extended passages like that throughout the album and even the sort of faster numbers are sort of you know mid-paced d-beat sometimes um and it kind of through that it still carries that sort of malevolence they managed to kind of encapsulate the heaviness of heavy metal in a lot of ways um through that but obviously combining it with these energetic moments of um yeah sort of proto thrash proto um almost death metal at times as well um they're also crowbags are a bit of an oddball like they're an interesting uh group in and of themselves and this release it sort of carries those eccentricities as well again as yeah as you mentioned some of the lyrics uh there's quite an interesting approach to it you kind of because a lot of punk um still carries a sense of sort of hope and a sense of um you know yelling about the world around them but kind of it contained within that is an implied hope that maybe things will change for the better whereas chromags come at it from a more kind of metal perspective where they kind of have just accepted that no there is no hope and we just have to figure out a way to cope with our environment and that really comes through on this album and i think it's one of the reasons why it's so it resonates so much with uh, with metalheads as a whole um so yeah that's my thoughts i would definitely agree with an a a ranking uh joseph where would where would you place it i think a is very appropriate um b would be too low i I think it's too legendary now for that um would be s tier you could argue and certainly i have friends who would argue that but uh i think a is a good fit um yeah crow this age of coral i think is a fantastic album um it's i came to it later in life but i thoroughly enjoyed it um even upon first listen uh at times it's it's interesting like when i think of like a hardcore you know crossover album to pair with something like if i'm listening to like metallica or slayer chromax easily seems to fit in like i often i don't know why like maybe you guys can say if this makes sense or not like I, I feel like it pairs really well with like ride the lightning there's something about it that just sort of seems to fit um it maybe the, the way they they work on the riffing um but yeah no I, I think it's great album uh one thing i had to comment uh 
it's sort of great that this is paired with DRI because uh, just this past fall, uh, I got to see the Cro-Mags live for the first time ever, and they were opening for DRI. Um, so, and they played a small little venue here in Frederick, which I guess got some infamy because uh, Harley got in a fight with some people who were in the not the crowd, but like over by the merch area, and he got pepper sprayed. And then, like, 30 minutes later, showed up on stage and ranted a bit about it, but then they win the set. So he was, I don't know, maybe even more energetic than other shows since he had just been pepper sprayed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was, yeah, that was a very memorable show. And it's funny because I would say I'm a bigger DRI fan, but I think seeing Chromex for the first time, uh, my impression of that show was more of as a Chromex show. Like, they really kicked everyone's ass now that dri you know weren't great but uh yeah i in you know previously i mentioned with the dri like i mean they've put on some pretty amazing shows like i'll never forget should have mentioned this before um their recent more recent basis uh i'll never forget at 2010 uh maryland death fest he jumped on stage when watain was playing uh, and started doing a little jig, and the band wasn't happy with that, so they beat him up and then shoved him to the side of the stage where I heard apparently security beat him up even further. And then later that night, DRI played, and they definitely let everyone know that happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, both bands, great. And yeah, Asia Coral, easy A. Awesome. Yeah, I've only ever seen DRI. I've never seen Chromax. I saw DRI at Hellfest. I think it was 2000. 10 mm-hmm. it would have been around the same time actually that um of that little anecdote <laughs> but yeah um absolutely typical of chromax just causing causing problems at shows uh but yeah um i think i kind of with your ride the lightning comparison i can kind of see where you're coming from in that like the metal side of this proper was kind of taking the chaos of these albums and sort of organized putting them in more organized forms so a track like for whom the bell tolls like organizes some of the doomier elements of chromags or like um yeah some of the frashier numbers on ride the lighting is still very kind of it has the formal narrative structure of of metal but it takes that takes that energy and that raw kind of um urgency of punk and kind of puts it in a more structured structured way um so yeah i I can i can kind of see the um see the comparison but i'd have to listen to both albums back to back to uh to draw that out but um Anyway, so that's enough punk for now. Um, so your final pick, Tyler, Killers uh, by Iron Maiden. Bit of a bit of an odd one. Yeah. <laughs> In terms this is of the, the Iron Maiden discography, anyway. This is the time for me to irritate perhaps a few people in the audience. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, I picked I- Killers by Iron Maiden, an album that I listen to all of the time. Um, I think it's a wonderful album as far as classic heavy metal goes. Uh, this is my favorite Iron Maiden album, and you could say in some ways this is the only album by Iron Maiden that I like. Sorry, Iron Maiden fans. Um, I feel that after Bruce Dickinson entered the van- band, to varying extents depending on the album and even the song in question, uh, Iron Maiden became a lot more vocally focused. And that's understandable in some ways, because Bruce Dickinson is a very distinctive vocalist. But the consequence of becoming more vocally focused is that I feel the songs became a bit more poppy. 
Um, this album, I feel, is very focused on the guitar work, and so you get a much more strong emphasis on a kind of uh, melodically-led composition on this album. It sounds almost silly, I suppose, to some hardcore Iron Maiden fans to say that they were more melodically focused on this album than their later albums, and that's not to say that they didn't have, you know, a big emphasis on dual guitar melodies and so on and so forth on most of their discography. Um, but it, those melodies definitely, I think, became much more uh, hookish and much more uh, emphasizing a sort of like a kind of pa uh, catchy pop emphasis on short bursts of melody. Um, and, whereas on this album, you get this really cool sense of like a flowing guitar melody from the beginning to the end of the piece. It's also um, a bit more raw and in some ways weird than uh, their later um, their later discography. And that kind of rawness and weirdness is something that I really appreciate in albums. I feel that oftentimes it's paired, not always, with a greater sense of uh, creativity. Um, I would also say that when it comes to uh, later metal, that you can hear that kind of emphasis on weird, raw, flowing melody in um, metal to come. Uh, like, for instance, uh, if you're going to, I think that personally, if you hear any kind of major Iron Maiden influence in uh, some proto-death and black metal like Slayer, especially on Slayer's first album, uh, Show No Mercy, I think there's comparisons to be drawn to this album by Iron Maiden. Um, so I, uh, I would personally put this album at, I could almost say I would put it at a B, but I'm going to lean towards A. Uh, Shelly, how do you feel about Killers by Iron Maiden? Yeah, um, no, I think I think there is a big portion of the fan base that definitely rates the first two Iron Maiden albums more than the Bruce Dickinson era. And I can see why, because that style of, I mean, we haven't discussed this yet, but that style of heavy metal that Iron Maiden are basically the exemplar of, it is an acquired taste, despite being hugely popular. Um, and it is a wildly different um, prospect to the kind of metal that we normally discuss on here, you know, the, the black and the death metal and the grindcore. Um, it's just, it is sort of tied to like death metal and extreme metal in, in kind of spirit and obviously in terms of like the, the actual culture and the infrastructure of the scene. But it, it always struck me as kind of odd that once heavy metal split in the 80s, they were still kind of grouped together a lot because they're just the hallmarks and the things that you listen for are incredibly different i mean you've mentioned the the vocals is one thing um but also yeah the the focus on um not necessarily hooks but it does have much more of a melodic focus it foregrounds the guitar solo a lot more um it, it can be a lot more linear at times um and yeah i kind of i'm a bit of a um got a bit of an odd attitude to iron maiden like i think the the really classic Dickinson albums, I'm not that keen on. Number of the Beasts, um, Power Slave, I could take them or leave them. But then when they go a bit more progressive with uh, Somewhere in Time and Seventh Son, I do start liking them again. Uh, but then again, it's sort of like the the earlier raw stuff, as you mentioned, Tyler. Again, that I like that far more than the, the Dickinson albums that immediately followed. Because again, um, you kind of get the sense that they're they're very compact songs. They're very efficient 
um and they're very focused um in a lot of ways and sometimes they do feel like there's a definite connection between that and the the 70s sort of hard rock proto metal style but it, you really see in kind of real time that iron maiden are slowly elevating that style to something entirely different uh through the kind of focus on guitar virtuosity um the the raw energy of it the fact that they pack far more information into each track um they don't just rely on like one sort of uh signature riff for each track but there's like a number of riffs that will communicate with each other in a way that you know is you know sort of the defining feature of heavy metal but you kind of see that play out in real time but this is also iron main more as like a garage band you could kind of see them playing in back rooms of pubs and smaller venues and stuff before they blew up and it is much more like immediate and raw and although steve harrison hates ever being like associated with punk because he detested it at the time there is that punk energy to it as well and there's a definite um definite cross appeal there and this uh, this obviously predates um sort of the the emergence of thrash but you can kind of easily see that the crossover was already happening before metallica and slayer um got the really got the ball rolling um there's definitely that undercurrent of like punk energy to this um so yeah i i think i would uh yeah i'd want to place it between a a and a b but i think seeing as you went a i'll i'll go ahead and agree with that ranking um what 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 are your thoughts joseph um yeah i wouldn't give it s but i I think it's a solid a i mean i uh the first seven maiden albums i think are like pivotal like if someone was getting into metal i would say you know everything from the first maiden album up through seventh son is something you should listen to and is a classic so all of those I would rank somewhere between A and S, although there's another one that comes up later in that in our list and that might be my least favorite of the first seven. Um, so I'd at least give this one an A compared to that other album. Um, Tyler, I th- think, is spot on with the connection with Slayer. Like, I think Killers is probably the most important main in album um, for a band like Slayer. Like, I know... Kerry King has mentioned in interviews that that was his favorite album. I think in particular Purgatory, he said it maybe is his favorite uh, Maiden song ever. Um, so certainly, you know, if one is coming from later music and is sort of like unsure about checking out Maiden, uh, Killers is a fine album. I think when going from like Death and Black into Thrash and then from Thrash into earlier. Um the energy of that time period of the band is something very unique. And it is kind of a shame that a lot of those songs don't get played live as much. I mean, I get it. You know, Dickinson obviously would probably rather perform stuff he's done uh, and recorded. Um, yeah. There's some magic about it. It's, it's made in with this sort of street punk snot nosed attitude um, and you know, as soon as Dickinson came in, there's some of it still sort of there with number of the beast, especially like a song like 22 Acacia Avenue. Um, but you know, certainly after beast, uh, that, that attitude kind of disappeared. Um, so it's a real gem, um, in that era. Although for myself, killers was one of the latter main albums I got into. So my personal preferences for the first self-titled album um especially with songs like fan of the opera and uh 
written about tomorrow, um, but Killers, Killers is solid. And just a shout out to probably my favorite song on that, uh, Murders in the Room Org, which is great. And even in that early elements, you you still get made in referencing uh, literary, um, you know, <laughs> important literary works. Yeah, I think um, on the Dickinson point, I think he has been explicit about that in interviews where he said, you know, one of the conditions of me joining was that we're going to take it in a much more theatrical kind of epic direction. Uh, a, because that obviously suits his vocal style, but that's kind of, that's who he is as a person as well. He wants to make it an experience and a performance. And obviously that has great value and it's obviously done Iron Maiden very well, but um, it did rob them of that, those early kind of bit more DIY kind of um, aesthetic anyway. Um, cool. So thank you, Tyler. Um, some great picks there. Um, so now we're going to move on to my picks. Um, and I will caveat this by saying, I don't think all of mine are S, but I think the first pick of mine <laughs> is definitely an S, uh, Voivod, Dimension Hatros. Um, this is one of my all time favorite albums of, of any, any genre at all. Um, it is the most unique quote-unquote thrash metal album uh that has ever been written and i think the fact that after this kind of thrash is sort of more remembered for you know your big fours or your big threes and stuff um i think is a bit of a tragedy i think it's great that voivod have kind of got a second wind in the last few years in terms of a putting out new material but also touring a lot more and that has led a lot of people to kind of go back and and rediscover them Unfortunately, the rediscovery kind of seems to be seeing them as more of a novelty band of just sort of, you know, sci-fi progressive thrash, um, which has got really popular in the last few years. But it kind of misses the um, the underlying magic of this album in particular, as in like they started out as a very, very sloppy, very, very extreme um, kind of thrash band um, that could compete with some of the other albums that we've discussed in terms of just the raw ugliness of it. But they were also... They were kind of like a, a very amateur band held up by an exceptionally gifted guitarist. But by the time this one rolled around, they'd really kind of raised their game and they were all at the same level. Um, but it's not sort of technically inaccessible. You kind of get this sense of them being still a bit like artisans. They're, they're working musicians. They, um, they still have the kind of punk ethos behind them, but they're reaching for a much more ambitious um, form of, of songwriting. And it's that kind of swirling dissonance um that is really really striking and has been so influential on on a lot of extreme metal that followed it's very otherworldly and very strange very kind of abrasive at times but also oddly hypnotic it's very very hard to kind of frame what it is they're doing then you get the vocals which you know they move away from the distorted bark of earlier releases and they go more towards a clean sound but he makes a point of sounding almost robotic uh, in a lot of ways and synthetic but not in a, again, not in a sort of novelty way, in a very kind of real, um, real and sort of dark uh, way that kind of gives it this very unsettling, uncanny kind of feel to it. Um, and yeah, just very unique um, approach to drumming as well. Very non-linear, very kind of interruptive of the guitars and the way they kind of bounce off each other um, at times and just kind of do approaches to stop, start, and then builds of momentum and then. Um, yeah, and just diff different sort of tricks that they deploy in each track is just uh, absolutely outstanding. Um, so yeah, I can't really say enough nice things about this album. It's um, it's 
one of these that stuck with me for a very long time and it's just a complete experience uh, every time i listen to it and much like the dri it, i just get something new out of it every time every time i approach it um so obviously i'm going to put it in s uh, i'll hand to joseph first and then tyler um yeah this is voivod is definitely one of my favorite bands i fully agree putting an s tier i think this is dimension Hatros is probably my favorite voivod album um i don't think it was my first actually like a lot of people getting into bands with sizable legacies you know sometimes you get the more contemporary album and then you work your way back um i think my first was god was it self-titled the one where jason newstead joined with them in the early 2000s i think well, that's a, that's an odd introduction to <laughs> oh it is uh but that was just the time when i got into them um you know, because I, I first got into metal probably around 1999, 2000. So um, I think, you know, and around that time, Metallica was what I got into and a lot of things I discovered through Metallica. So I think when it was like, oh, former Metallica bassist Jason Newstead joins a Voivod, I was like, oh, I got to check this out. Um, and that's definitely not my favorite album these days. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, when I did eventually work my way back, um, the first album doesn't hit me quite as much but uh roar all the way through to like angel rat i think is just an amazing run uh roar in particular i think is rather underrated um killing technology is great but dimension hatros is just perfect i mean the two sort of singles on it are easily two of my favorite songs um tribal convictions and psychic vacuum um i remember uh, years ago, I think Voivod put out their first like DVD and it had all the music videos and those are easily two of my favorite. Um, I did not see them live until early 2010s. I think they were on tour with Napalm Death and I finally caught them. Um, I mean, even to this day, they're still amazing live. Um, you know, kind of as you mentioned, that second win they got after Piggy died. Um, but then the... Uh, I forget his name, but the guy from a Canadian death metal scene joined them, and I think he's f pretty fucking fantastic. Like, if he had to find a replacement for Piggy, he's done a solid job. Um, but yeah, the the energy of that band, and it's interesting because right after Dimension Hatros, you get Nothing Face, which is maybe the most proggy album they ever made, and can be a little difficult, I think, for people to get into. Um, and then you have Angel Rat, which I think is maybe the most underrated because it is a bit more smooth. Um, but in terms of Voiva at the peak of their energy and thrash, proggy thrash metalness, I think Dimension Hatros is easily the best entry point into that band. Um, and the only other thing I'll add is uh, I. Probably not the last, no, not the last time I saw them, but I saw them at Decibel Metal and Beer like a year or two ago. And when Tribal Convictions came on, I almost never jumped in the mosh pit, but for that one I did. And I made about one ring around the pit till I hit like some spilled beer and totally wiped out and scabbed my knee really badly. But <laughs> it was all worth it for that band. Um, Yeah, it's like... Yeah, Nothing Face is a very odd prospect because in some ways it's not even a metal album. It's more them pl 
playing prog rock but being Voivod. Um, it's it's very strange um, prospect. And I do I do absolutely love that album as well. But I think the Dimension Hatros is what I always return to because it still has the vestiges of their their roots in in sort of very very primitive thrash but here they've as i mentioned earlier they've sort of organized it into a very uh formalized and very kind of sophisticated uh form of metal um so yeah sorry uh tyler what are your thoughts this is my favorite of the voivod albums um i don't listen to voivod that much anymore but this album in particular i think is uh very interesting in how dense it is there is a lot of detail packed into each individual piece that is then uh, utilized. It's not just extraneous or ornamentation, uh, but it's actually a mechanism for the development of the song. And in that way, although in a very different style and uh, with a different context, it kind of can at times remind me a bit of some other dense compositions from the extreme metal we usually cover, like Morbid Angel on Blessed Are the Sick, or uh, Burzum, perhaps, on uh, somewhat on the self-titled and uh, the uh, second album, Det Salmon Gang Var. Um, and some of that similarity comes from the sort of uh, experimentation with harmony and the harmonization, the wash that's created through both uh, dissonance and consonance and kind of uh, pulling out melodies from that wash of sound and uh, developing them from that point into other themes that are stated throughout the album. Uh, I think that really this album, as much as it, uh, I agree with Shelley, you can hear its roots in more raw um, hardcore punk or early heavy metal. Uh, I think that really this album actually does have, maybe more so than some people will give early Voivod credit for, a lot of its roots in uh, 1970s uh, heavy metal and prog rock. Um, even like groups like King Crimson and uh, how it approaches a sort of exacting instrumentation um, to uh, kind of create a weird and quirky sense of composition. So I don't know if I would give this album an S tier, uh, just be on a personal level, because Voivod isn't really something that is a part of my regular rotation anymore. But I do certainly think it is the best of uh, their discography. On Voivod in general, I mean, I pretty much stick with Killing Technology, uh, Dimension, I'm never sure how to pronounce it, Hatros, Hatros? Um, I think it's Hatros, and, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, even with later Voivod, while some metal purists, you know, pretty much cut it off at uh, Dimension Hatros, um, you know, like I think that and this might get some people's feathers a little ruffled. I think that Negatron is a pretty uh, pleasing album to listen to. Is it good in the sense of having a very profound sense of uh, composition and theme? Not really, but it's a well-put-together album with a good sense of uh, being able to craft a tune. Uh, but this album, like I said several times now, best of, best of the Voivod discography uh, for pretty much all of the reasons that I stated and perhaps quite a few more, I would probably put it at an A. Okay. Um, I would, one thing I remember to add in, in I mean, between Shelley, you and me, maybe we, you know, force it into S rather than A. Uh, the other thing to consider with Voivod in general, and again, Dimension Hatros is probably the focal point for their classic era, 
uh, I mean, I don't think you can think of a prog extreme metal band that is doesn't ha- cite or look at Voivod as a main influence. Um, all of them. I mean, everything from Gorguts to Enslaved, I think, looks at you know Voivod as a key element to what makes their music. Like I know uh, Ivar in Enslaved has talked about Voivod being a huge influence in terms of how, P- how Piggy you know, the types of riffs and the types of chord structures he used being a major influence on him. Um, and yeah, just, I can't think of most proggy death or proggy black metal bands that don't look at Voivod as like part of their lineage. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree with that comment as much as I'm not a fan of proggy enslaved. I think that their influence cannot be, uh, understated. So yeah, I would agree with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Particularly on like the death metal that followed. Um, yeah, you could see their fingerprints all over it. Um, just on your point on Negatron as well, I would say, I think of all the eighties bands that a lot of them took very funny turns in the nineties. Uh, Voivod did a lot, did a lot better out of that era than a lot of their contemporaries, <laughs> shall we say? Um, yeah. So, uh, two to one on that. So it's staying in S, um, much to my much to my pleasure um so the next uh choice i picked kind of on a on a similar kind of line dead brain cells um first album self-titled um i'm trying to remember why why i picked this one because i i haven't listened to it for a very long time and i just found myself returning to it quite recently um Dead Brain Cells are perhaps more famous for their follow-up uh, universe um which is an incredibly ambitious concept album about the base nothing short of the history of the universe um and again similar to voivod they attempted to mesh quite uh spacey abstract progressive uh music with very very kind of direct thrash basically um but on this album they're more just playing very much in their wheelhouse of just straight up thrash metal basically um and the lyrics are much more grounded um, again, very much in keeping with the uh, the kind of thrash metal crossover um, that we've already been discussing in terms of like that late 80s, late Cold War kind of nihilism uh, that was gripping a lot of um, people in sort of Western Europe and the US. And on this album, they achieve a similar thing to Voivod, but in a slightly more direct, um, less roundabout kind of way. Um, the thing that I love about this album is the the sort of the paradox of it being very very simple and compact but also incredibly complex like that the way they unravel riffs is very unexpected every time but also very very um intuitive in a lot of ways and they'll kind of work through some very sort of meandering sort of chromatic passages and then bring it back to something very direct and hard-hitting um it's quite light on sort of quote-unquote melody proper uh but they do kind of sprinkle it throughout the album as well which really brings in a kind of another dimension to it an almost like emotive um feel but it's also it's very aggressive and very kind of um what's the word very sort of muscular as well um so there's there's kind of there's a lot to unpack in this album and i think the reason i picked it is also because dead brain cells are incredibly underrated um uh, I don't think they did much after Universe, so it's probably one of the reasons why they, they kind of get overlooked in the sort of lexicon of 80s 
um, thrash metal um, in a lot of ways. They didn't sort of carry on that legacy. And, you know, they have kind of, with people sort of re-exploring this era a lot in recent years, they have been uncovered again um, and are receiving some attention, but nowhere near to the extent of, of a Voivod or whatever. So I just kind of, I think I wanted to just flag this album in particular as one where if you like, uh, for want of a better word, brainy thrash, um, that really tries to push the boundaries, but also keep things very, very grounded, um, then then this would be the album. And yeah, I was listening to it earlier today. And again, I was just pleasantly surprised by by how good it is. It is every bit as good as I remembered it when I first listened to it. Um, so yeah, Joseph, um, have you listened to Dead Brain Cells before? So unfortunately, this is the third and last one that I'm not terribly <laughs> familiar with. And, and of those three... I think I've listened to this one once, um, so I really don't have much ground to talk about them. Um, I quickly did a Google. I saw Monstrosity cover them, so uh, there's a connection to the death metal scene. Um, But yeah, no, I'll have to take everyone else's word for this band. Uh, Other than just, I guess I wouldn't put it S tier, certainly, because they're not a band that I hear people talk about that much. But um, when this is done, I'm definitely going to go check them out. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So just before I had to Tyler, I probably I probably wouldn't put it as an S either. I'd probably say it is an A. But um, yeah, Tyler, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, this album I think that among those who are in the know might be somewhat overlooked um, in preference for universe. But this album is definitely, as Shelley said. Uh, underrated in its influence on uh, almost all of Metal After It. You hear a really amazing musical tendency in Dead Brain Cells uh, with sort of uh, riff patterns that pop up in so many bands after their time. Um, Whether those bands were directly influenced by Dead Brain Cells or not, I'm unaware, but they certainly added to the uh, sort of... um, I don't know how you could put it, gene pool or gestalt of extreme music significantly with their music on this album. And while this is more direct, so to speak, than um, Universe is, it definitely has less mid-paced territory and so less contrast in some ways. Um, it, it also it is about, in many ways, just equally as, uh, Shelley put it, brainy and dense in, a, in some ways, although it, uh, you know, obviously is very compact in the sense of song length, uh, but dense in the amount of detail and the way that they develop uh, their sort of uh, rhythmic assault throughout the course of this album. Uh, I would probably put it as an A, because once again, if I'm like using DRI as a point of comparison, I don't know if it's quite as distinctive as DRI gets at their best, but I do think that this is a stellar album, and honestly... If anybody wanted to hear sort of the roots of pretty much, like I said, all of uh, the best of heavy metal from this point forward, thrash metal, death metal, and even some black metal alike, I would recommend that you check this out as a sort of undiscovered gem. Yeah, it's a very interesting period, the late 80s for thrash in general, like, you know, with like really explicitly proggy bands like Watchtower, and then you've got Voivod and sadist taking it in a place even more extreme than slayer and then bands like yeah dead brain cells it's just at the cusp like obviously death metal was about to take over very shortly but it's just at the cusp of like this um just 
lots and lots of activity, lots of creativity going on. Um, so to take it a little bit earlier now, uh, back to 1980, I believe, um, my next pick is Angel Witch, uh, their debut, self-titled. Um, this is an album that I appreciate more in spirit and concept than actually enjoying listening to it. Uh, as a sort of new wave of British heavy metal album, it's very rough and ready. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why it stuck with me, because it, it sort of reminds us that although that scene and that style became very, as we discussed with Iron Maiden, it became very kind of grandiose and ambitious and sometimes a bit too theatrical for its own good. It kind of reminds us that it was basically a working class um, urban sort of form of music that came out of, you know, the urban sprawls of Birmingham and and London and, and Yorkshire. Um, and it wasn't, you know, as, as always as quite as silly as, as it came to be. And on Angel Witch, you do get that sense of just a band thrashing it out in their garage um, with what equipment they can afford, um, sort of reaching for something more than their means. They're not the most technical band, um, although, you know, their music, the musicianship on this album is solid, um, but it is very kind of accessible in a, in a you know, in a sort of artisanal way, in a way, not sort of poppy, but in a... Um, there's not any kind of flourishes. There's no flashes on the production. It's very kind of basic, just, you know, guitar, bass, drums, go. Um, and some of the themes on here, they do, you know, dabble in, um, you know, more fantastical themes, uh, occultist themes and stuff. But there's also, again, there's vestiges of realism there, like a song about sort of being released from prison and coping with, um the kind of mental turmoil of of that and things like that i just um it is just one of these oddball albums but it has been incredibly influential over like most of the metal that followed um i think because there's a darkness to it as well there's an underlying kind of misery to it that you don't really get from iron maiden who were much brighter and more energetic whereas angel witch shafar sort of more drab and sort of downtrodden you get this, this real sense of kind of um what's the word not sort of misery but yeah a slightly kind of downtrodden feel to it that i find really compelling um and then songwriting wise it is it is very basic but very intuitive and very kind of creative in a lot of ways um but yeah i know i i submitted it but I'd, i because i don't enjoy it as much as some of the other albums i'm probably going to rank it as a, a b um but yeah so uh, joseph what are your thoughts on angel witch i mean it's it's funny um because you know uh, when we put these lists together i was sort of the last one to come to it so obviously i wasn't going to pick something someone else had already picked but this was one i very likely would have picked on my own um angel witch is one of my favorite like you know classic or traditional heavy metal albums uh i think it's amazing i would definitely put it higher than b um i mean in personal rankings i would probably consider an s but uh a i think i'd be very satisfied with um it, it's funny because for you it seems like it's sort of a an academic almost enjoyment of the album uh for me it's an album i put on and very viscerally enjoy um just the riff crafts i think is amazing um it's yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just an album that consistently uh, I find enjoyment in. Um, it's funny because it's probably, 
the second most famous song with the title Angel of Death. Uh, and I have to, <laughs> at times, at you know, almost blasphemy, but I think I might like their Angel of Death more than Slayer's, um, which, you know, that's almost heretical. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's... It's such an interesting one, too, because it's one of those sort of lost gem type of new wave of British heavy metal albums, because after this, they just really kind of fell apart. Um, and they have gotten back together and, and done some recent albums, which I enjoy those quite a bit. Um, but yeah, sort of in the realm of like Diamond Head and Witchfinder General, like an album or two, and then Satan certainly is another one an album two and then things just kind of fell off until you know decades later reunions occurred um and there's something about that i think that adds to the mystique of, of it that like there was this magical moment for this band and then it just kind of vanished like they made a deal with the devil and you know they got an album two out of it and then you know dragged down into hell um as a consequence of you know going for such glory um and yeah uh, I also know this album gets mentioned a lot by Tom G. Warrior as like one of the two albums that inspired him to start Hellhammer. So certainly with that extreme metal connection, it's very clearly in that. I think the first Venom album in this, he always cites as the reason he started doing music. Um, and certainly with the occult themes that are in this album, I think it's sort of a nice bridge between say like early maiden and venom like angel which kind of gives you this like it's a bit of a tendon between those two bands in the eras for those bands yeah that's that's a pretty good way to put it actually um and yeah like you mentioned yeah a lot of these bands didn't make it because they kind of yeah they fell apart they only managed a couple of albums but yeah if they'd kept going like you know it was only like the iron maidens that kind of got massive and took over the world but you know angel which could have been there if they'd carried on maybe with a new lineup or whatever but yeah they kind of became as you mentioned retrospectively discovered and yeah as a result kind of reformed um so yeah uh tyler what are your thoughts i'm somewhat more along your thought process on this album shelly uh, i had kind i enjoy the spirit and the concept of it a little more than listening to the album itself in many ways you get vestiges of um sort of the uh, late 1970s um, kind of uh, I don't necessarily want to say stadium heavy metal um, that you hear in some of the kind of uh, growing new wave of British heavy metal scene at the time um, still found on this album but its influence I think is uh, um, unquestionable and there are motifs on this album like in the song uh, Angel of Death as Joseph mentioned that were of huge influence to how uh, later heavy metal would approach melody and song development. Um, I, you know, Joseph mentioned their impact on directly on uh, Hellhammer, for instance. Um, and I think that as a sort of example of cult early heavy metal that was part of the uh, kind of. Uh, ethos of um really all underground metal from that point forward the kind of diy uh true to the scene um you know sort uh like a community for people who were willing to do the footwork 
to look for the actually good bands that Angel Witch was like a cultural example of what that was during this time period. And of course, that carried forth into almost all of metal from this point forward, as far as the people in the heavy metal genre who were actually engaging in the creative work rather than kind of drifting heavy metal more towards uh, mainstream sounds. So in that regard, I would probably put this album as a B because actually listening to it, there is on a kind of personal enjoyment level, not quite enough there for me to want to listen to it on a very regular basis other than on occasion, just out of uh, sort of appreciation for its place in the pantheon of heavy metal. And because there's there's a plenty of enjoyable moments on the album, it, it definitely has a good approach to uh, songwriting, you know, uh, out of the new wave of British heavy metal bands, they're some one of the ones that has the most underground approach to uh, melody and to presentation. Um, but it just doesn't quite have uh, as much personal appeal to me as other music from even around or in relatively close proximity to the same era, like Killers by Iron Maiden, for instance. So I would rank it as a B. Well, yeah, can't argue with the numbers there. Um, one thing I would add, and and you know, I, I'm fine. I think you know, two to one. If if you want to say B, sure. Um, <laughs> the uh, I mean, I think it's only fair uh, in that way. But um, the one thing I would say for anyone who isn't familiar with Angel Witch, I think you know, when you look at the new wave of British heavy metal and which of those bands influenced certain bands that came later, especially in the thrash metal scene. I think Angel Witch probably had the biggest influence on Megadeth of like the big four. And I think you can really tell in especially the first two Megadeth albums, like you listen to those and you listen to Angel Witch and you'll see the connections. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to do that because I'm less, I'm less familiar with Megadeth. I do listen to them now and then, but yeah, I'd have to go back to that. Um. So yeah, next up, I'm just going to, Shove this up here. Uh, Discharge. Hear nothing, see nothing, say nothing. <laughs> Wholeheartedly agree. This album is a bombshell. Let's get into it. I I I, I agree, but also as revenge for Angel Witch, I kind of want to drag it down. But uh... <laughs> oh, Don't take out on Discharge. <laughs> but, um, you know, Tyler, go. Um, this is Shelley's album. Yeah, Shelley's going to introduce it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Uh, how, well, how do I introduce this one? It's basically the mother of all punk albums as far as like the things we've discussed go um the guitars sound like an air raid siren um obviously we all know that this was the foundation of db um the drum beat style on here um you basically wouldn't have had um the style that slayer went for without this album and by extension obviously a lot of extreme metal um it is <sighs> It is one of the most overwhelming cacophonies of noise. Like each song is barely two riffs, um, very, very basic, very simple. Um, and just this kind of sloganeering in the vocals where it's just a few lines um, just bellowed at the listener. Um, again, just with, with some sense of that sense of urgency that just the world around you is going completely insane. And, or either you are you yourself are insane and just needing some kind of way to to express that and i think 
more than any of the other albums here, this one just has that laser-like focus on expressing that because it is in sort of in reality, it is incredibly simple um, the way they do it. Um, but just through that conviction and through that just intensity, the raw energy of it, they kind of get at something about the human condition, especially con- you know in, in modern times that really just sticks with you. And I remember just being recommended this album as like, well, it's, you know, it's very pivotal to early extreme metal. And I was not prepared for just how extreme it sounds to this day. It still kind of blows a lot of subsequent albums out of the water in terms of it's just raw intensity. Um, Whenever we tend to get an S tier album that has been with me for many, many years, I'm very passionate about, I kind of, I do struggle to kind of frame it properly uh probably why i tend to write opinions on music more than speak them uh so i will hand over to uh joseph now before i just start rambling on <laughs> um d- despite what i said earlier i mean this is a legendary album um certainly you know whatever people could say about its musicality is so overwhelmed by its influence on just about everything um thrash metal death metal and even to a certain extent black metal and certainly uh, grindcore like it's just such a figment and like you said db like the swedish um i mean the swedish death metal scene wouldn't be what it is without this album um the funny thing for me is this was one of the earlier exposures i had getting into music uh, because Metallica was my first entryway, you know, uh, in the Garage Inc. album, they covered two tracks from Discharge. So I actually heard of those uh, pretty early on in my journey into music. And um, those stuck with me. And eventually I did uh, grab, hear nothing, see nothing, say nothing. Um, it's great. It's punchy. It has this weight that so much other, punk sometimes can feel a little thin but this just feels like a goddamn you know panzer tank um and it's funny enough like in relation to that like i don't think you get an album like marduk's panzer division without something like this um it's you know tied in with the crust punk uh, beginnings of that the d beats the you know uh, what was it the uk 82 scene so you know, very much companion to stuff like GBH. Um, but this is very much, yeah, it's a unique album. There really isn't a lot of stuff from that time period that sounds exactly like this. There's, um, also it has probably one of the most harrowing uses of a sample tied to a song when it's got the, um, newsreel report about, uh, children burned from a nuclear weapon and then goes into either what was a hell on earth. Um, and yeah, it's just visceral in that sense. Awesome. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Um, Tyler, what are your thoughts? All right. So this album is really absolutely indispensable with its influence on pretty much everything as far as extreme music after it. Uh, interestingly enough, as Shelley covered, it's a very simple album song construction wise. Uh, you largely get a verse course format, uh, two riffs per song, but it's innovation that I consider monumental 
is the uh, sort of ambient drone riffing that it creates. It um, almost divorces the rhythm guitar from following the rhythmic pattern of the drums, uh, which was largely the approach of most rock music, uh, as you could put it, prior to this album. And there were bands that were moving in this direction or experimenting with a similar approach, but Discharge really explicitly created this sense of a the rhythm guitars leading the composition by having a sort of droning stream of melody that was then taken up by later artists and extreme music and advanced upon to create some of the most compelling music in the modern era. And because of that, I don't think that Discharge can be thanked enough. Um, that also, to their credit, that approach to um, riffing was really tied into the theme of the album because that droning sense of melody that they create, um, the, the fact that it's so disaffected from rhythm and and the fact that the vocals are almost a sort of a madman afterthought, almost just like somebody shouting randomly in the midst of a chaotic night. Um, it really uh, emphasizes the theme of despair and a sort of dark nihilistic despair, really, not so much of a sort of personal emotional one. Um, the uh, kind of D-beat drum pattern um, that has been talked about really serves this album well in kind of placing the rhythm section of the music into an almost just purely timekeeper role so that the droning melody can almost in an ambient way flow over the rhythm and lead the changes in the song. And I think that's um, exceptional. I think that Discharge really should be credited with creating one of the most um, one of the most uh, foundational aspects of extreme music after it is that ambient flowing sense of uh, melodic of melodicism that I think that most death metal and even black metal after it kind of took up and developed uh, further. So I would put this in an S tier just for its influence in that regard. I mean, yeah, you, you've both been quite hesitant about sort of the, re the references to black metal, but I think that's undeniable in some of the rawer aspects of, of black metal, like especially someone like Iljan, where I, I see Iljan as like a direct descendant of albums like this in terms of their attitude and approach and an outcome in terms of just stripping everything back um to its most basic components and then sort of rebuilding um on that so yeah no glad we uh we um are all in agreement on that so undisputed s i i would uh i would also add that um you know if you want to think of both her influence into death metal uh, sorry well i already said uh their influence on a band like both i think is undeniable like you can clearly see that connection oh yeah absolutely yeah um and yeah again sort of well bolt thrower kind of they did start out from quite a punky place as well and kind of translated that language into the more sort of ambitious kind of death metal um kind of uh direction that they took um so the next album um i was just googling how to pronounce it because i've never actually said it out loud i think tolkien pronounced it Kirif Ungle, but the band pronounced it Sirif Ungle. Uh, Correct. So yeah, it's Kirif Ungle. <laughs> I am a huge Tolkien nerd, and that is how it's properly pronounced, but yeah. So we will go with Kirif Ungle. Um, 
So this this is my kind of heavy metal. Um, it is abrasive as fuck. It is much like the Angel Witch. It's very raw, very DIY. There's no flashes of theatricality. Um, uh, it's very sort of blue collar in a lot of ways. Um, but the musicianship is just endlessly creative. Um, it indulges in um, guitar solos to the point of absurdity, but they're not just kind of fluff or filler. They're very um, sort of directional guitar solos. They're very focused on where they need to be and where they need to go and sort of taking the song from one place to another. Um, and not just that, but also sort of a lot of the a lot of the riffing is just it, almost like so simple that it's odd that you kind of think, how did no one think of that before? Uh, but it's very, very intuitive um, and very kind of... Uh, conscious of where each riff needs to be within the flow of a song and you do still get like the classic 70s metal um dna within this particularly in sort of the interaction of the drums there's a lot of kind of references to sabbath and indeed this this album and this band have sort of very influential on sort of later doom metal we're about to discuss a sort of pillar of doom metal in a moment but this album um is quite a big influence on that particularly the epic sort of strand of of doom metal um and then obviously we can't really talk about this album without mentioning the vocals which is what's going to put most people off um because he just sings in this high-pitched screech and there is no attempt to um ingratiate the vocals to the listener in any way or kind of um vary them or maybe i offer some softer passages here and there it is just a cacophony of screeches which i kind of think is really fitting because the album is very rough around the edges anyway and i quite like just this very very intense um energetic kind of narrator that you get through these quite epic kind of uh almost fantastical uh pieces and you just you do get this guy just screeching in your ear and it kind of really just wake you up it it's almost like a shot of adrenaline in a lot of ways um so yeah a very very special very unique album but i understand that it might be very much an acquired taste but i definitely prefer this approach to sort of straight edge heavy metal to um sort of other kind of things that were going on in this era when metal was getting a little bit more grandiose and ambitious and sort of lots and lots of furniture and additional flourishes and stuff this kind of brings it back to basics and says no we need to just creative riffing creative songwriting creative um soloing that's that's where it needs to be and let's just focus on that and you know the fact that it's very rough around the edges is almost like a bit of a bit of a gatekeeping act in a way because if you can't if you need all of the cinematic production like big budget kind of escapades to sort of enjoy it then you're not sort of really enjoying the music itself you're enjoying something else uh that's kind of sugar-coated um i don't think i put it as an s because i don't like it as much as the albums that are in the s tier but i definitely say it's an a uh joseph what are your thoughts um it, it's hard for me to be objective when it comes to Sirithungal because um a few years ago, when the, after they reunited and they uh, started releasing new music, I had the opportunity to interview them, and that, to this day, might be one of my favorite moments in my life. Because um, <laughs> I, I, the only time I've ever been able to interview an entire band in the same room in one go, and then at the end of it, you know, we talked and everything, and I'm hearing crazy stories about you know 
bands and gigs and things they did back in the 70s and even before the band even formed really and then they're like hey do you want to just uh hang around and watch us rehearse for a festival we're gonna play and i got to basically have a private concert um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it, it, it it was insane and then even more so because that was february of 2020 so uh that festival never happened so i um Potentially could have been yeah. the last. I potentially could have been the last person to have ever seen Sirithungal play. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I have a very hard time to be objective, and and I feel very protective of this band because I've gotten to know some of the guys in the band, and and I think they're just great people. Um, but to someone you know, unknowledgeable, um, they're part of. It's funny because I don't think back in the day it was ever really referred to this, but like these days it's called like the U.S. power metal scene, or which is tied into to one of my choices um, that we'll talk about later. But um, yeah, the vocals are definitely kind of in the same way of King Diamond. They're um, something you kind of have to get used to at first. Um, Tim Baker, um, his vocals are very very distinct. Um, but it's very rewarding, especially if you enjoy stuff like, in terms of those 70 roots that they have, like if you enjoy Rush and we're like, man, I would love to have like a more metal Rush with maybe a little less proggy, like songs don't have to be nine or 10 minutes. Um, Sivirthungle very much fits that. Um, I often talk about this and the other band we'll be talking about later, sort of like if you go visit your grandparents and you go up in the attic and you find some dust covered pulp novels, that's what Sirithungle feels like. It feels like this little treasure trove you found that's been covered in dust or, you know, very much fitting with the themes they do, which is a lot of this pulp sort of sci-fi and fantasy and horror. And certainly in the lyrics, it shows up and, um, you know, it, you know, it, it just has that allure of something old um, and forgotten that's been discovered, which very much is the case because they were a band that had a lot of difficulty, tried to make it, and just time and time again got kicked in the balls and <laughs> and tried to get back up. I know with this album, I think it was pretty DIY, like self-finance, which is why it took four years after the uh, debut. And this still had like half the songs I think they actually um, composed in the late 70s. Um, And it was only two albums after this one that they broke up and stayed broken up for, God, like 20 years or so. Um, And I was fortunate enough to go to the very first reunion show they had at the Frost and Fire Festival in, I forget what year it was, like 2017 or something like that. And... uh, and I remember with bated breath, everyone wondering, you know, would Tim's vocals still be up to match? Would the band be up to match? And when they hit that stage, I mean, it was just amazing. Everyone's jaw was on the floor because now I think it's funny because I would actually recommend some of the newer stuff they've done post-reunion as a gateway because Tim's vocals have aged a lot better, I think, and are a little more gravelly now with his age. And that's a, maybe a little easier to get into compared to uh, back in the day where it's uh, very high pitched um, and, and can be, you know, an, a very much required taste. But at the same time, uh, King of the Dead is probably the most de facto 
Sirithungal album. Like it's if you're going to think of a classic era of them album, this is the one to get. Yeah, absolutely, and I, w- I would definitely agree about the newer albums in terms of being a gateway because they are really solid as far as like the recent like spate of comebacks that we've had. Um, but they're really kind of a good summation of what they sound like. But yes, yeah, slightly less on the abrasive <laughs> on the abrasive side. But once you've got into that, then definitely King of the Dead would be the next one I'd recommend. Um, Tyler, what are your thoughts? Kareth Ungol is a really interesting band of this time period. They have elements that are very uh, doom-like. They have, I guess, what you could call a sort of proto-power metal uh, aspect to them. And then they also have some aspects of the uh, NWOBHM scene at the time. Um, they, While they are very different from Sabbath in some ways, they have a similarity in the sense that the music, especially on this album, kind of uh, somewhat relies on low, dark, rumbly, plodding riffs at times. Um, That being said, uh, I have a strange relationship with this band because I feel that it is a band that I should like a lot more than I do. All aspects of this band make me feel that I should be really into them, and I've tried to get into them on many occasions, and I always don't really feel like listening to them. Um, It's not that I think that it's bad. Uh, It's not bad at all, and I can definitely recognize its quality and its influence, but it just doesn't grab me in the way that some other albums from this period do. Um, that being said, there's nothing wrong with this album at all, and there's nothing wrong with this band and most of its discography at all, and uh, I would consider it a very legitimate early heavy metal album for any self-respecting metalhead uh, to uh, who likes authentic heavy metal to listen to, um, but if I were going to rate it based on my personal feelings about the band... I would probably put it at a B. I am the outlier on this, however, so I submit to the will of the majority on this one. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think, Joseph, you gave it one, but could you live with A? Um, given the you know the you know acquired taste nature of it, uh, I think an A is perfectly fine. Like if someone wanted to put, I mean, I would put it alongside Angel Witch, but you know, I, I thought that deserved an A, so it. Yeah, a, a, I think it's fine. Uh, the only other thing I'd mention to our listeners is Sirithungal has announced that this is going to be the last year of them doing uh, any anything remotely like touring or playing live. I imagine they may do still some one-offs, probably still in the Southern California area um, in years to come, but it sounds like... Um, Due to a number of factors, this this is the last big hurrah. So if you see they're playing a festival or show near you, know that this may well be the last chance you get to see. And uh, if you haven't bought a ticket yet, uh, going to Hell's Heroes in Houston in March is a fine uh, opportunity to go see them. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I did hear that. But uh, yeah, I've been kind of out of the loop lately. Well, and I know... For you, uh, and I might try to make it. I know they're going to play Limerick in Ireland. Uh, I don't know if they're playing. I think they're playing London as well, though. Well, yeah, London would be easier for me, obviously. But <laughs> um, cool. Okay, yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out. Um, so yeah, that concludes my picks. Um, 
so Joseph, we're now on to you. Um, so do you want to introduce this band, Candle Candlemas? I think I've heard. Yes. Of <laughs> <laughs> Candlemas. Oh, joking around, Shelley. <laughs> Uh, I chose their debut album, Epicus Dumicus Metallicus, um, which is maybe interesting to some people because I think of the realms the most famous or well-known is probably Nightfall, um, which had a different vocalist. Um, but for whatever reason, Epicus has always been my favorite. Um, something about it that just... F- I don't know, hits a little harder for me. Um, It's really hard to explain. There's just something a little more dark about it. Um, This is the album. I mean, it's funny, you know, because the, you know, fake Latin title, you know, Epic Doom Metal. And essentially this album did create that as a genre. Um, Candlemas pretty much are cited as the first Epic Doom Metal band, which... For those kind of unaware of it, it's sort of taking the doom metal of the more Sabbathy era and then adding in sort of the epicness of some of the new wave of British heavy metal. And, and especially, I would say, like something like Rainbow, especially during Dio's tenure. So sort of that. And we'll mention another album, actually, right after this one, that probably played a big influence on them. Um, this was also kind of the first big metal band other than Bathory to kind of break out in Sweden. Um, I mean, you have bands like Heavy Load and, and some others as well. And the one thing with Bathory is Bathory, other than those handful of shows that supposedly people saw, um, Candlemas were the first big one to actually play live and tour. Um, and I know a, you talk to a lot of guys in the extreme Swedish scene and they'll talk about Candlemas being sort of those godfather like figures to the entire scene. Um, a lot of the lyrics kind of similar to angel witch and some of the other bands and albums we talked about are very kind of mystical and occult based, um, solitude. The opening track is, has this, uh, it, it it's interesting because it definitely hits on the depressive nature that doom metal sometimes has. Um, but then singing along with the chorus of this earth to earth, ashes to ashes builds this epic tension in it. Um, and I could go on and on with each song, but I also would want to mention like sorcerer's pledge. Uh, often at times feels like the most epic of what rainbow was doing, especially on something like rising turned into this darker iteration um and that's always been one that i love this idea of this sorcerer who's been sleeping waiting for his time to come and rule the world as the evil warlord um and yeah it just it really hits um especially as a teenager like discovering this when i was like 15 or 16 it really hits your imagination uh in in the best of ways um and for now, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I'll, I'll probably add a few more things when Shelley and Ty- Tyler talk about it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I'm more familiar with Nightfall, uh, but I do kind of agree there is a darker uh, edge to this album. And so, like, you know, people try to sort of c- contrive uh, sort of groups of bands sort of after the fact, but they're sort of lumped in with along with St. Vitus and Pentagram as like the big three of early doom metal. But I kind of, I always resonated more with Candlemas because they've sort of stripped out the the blues 
sort of vestiges from their sound and as you mentioned there they are very much a post new wave of british heavy metal band um in that they are borrowing heavily from the melodic content and the the thematic uh, ideas of that movement and then yeah bringing it back to the doomier elements of, of black sabbath um and there's also it's very funereal and dark and almost like tragedian in a way and you can see its influence not just on the doom metal that followed but also like the goth um element to it as well but you know the the peaceful free like my dying bride things like that um and probably also death metal bands that went in a slightly more gothic tinged direction lean heavily on this album and subsequent albums um so yeah it's it's very i understand what you mean though it's quite hard to encapsulate um where where how this album kind of meets meets the lister but it is very kind of earthy it sort of hits on a on a sort of deeper level than a lot of doom metal manages to do and to some extent candle mass after this album as well um so yeah it's, it's it's not a style that i reach for um very often but when i do i'm always glad that i put this album on because it does it is always a pleasant surprise how how good it is and how sort of how foundational it is it's almost a cliche that they've called themselves they've called their album that but it is sort of warranted in a lot of ways far more than venom's black metal anyway um but yeah uh tyler i'll hand to you now yeah when we're talking about nightfall being the most uh widely appraised uh candle mass album um i personally prefer this album and um ancient dreams more than nightfall nightfall isn't a bad album but those the the debut and uh ancient dreams are my favorites by that band uh this album is really interesting in uh what's already been said about it about having a darker edge to some extent than the albums after this um it's also even for a doom metal album unusually not in a bad way uh slow and kind of simplistic um at times anyhow but uh where this album really shines through and i think maybe even in some ways more so than their later material is that kind of heavy metal powerful gothic sense of finding uh beauty in darkness in like the weight which is where i think the term heavy and heavy metal comes from more so than just the sonic qualities of it the weight of the darker aspects of life like death um and in that regard i think this album is uh, an exceptional entry into exploring darker aspects of music of this time and as Shelley said i think that it was uh kind of a huge influence on later bands with exploring similar topics i mean even when you're talking about things as seemingly removed as the most um black and dark of extreme metal uh you had thing you had uh interesting kind of social aspects like uh dead from mayhem appearing in a candle mass music video um so i think that they were uh really well loved by a lot of those musicians from those scenes and then of course there's the fact that um bolt thrower once they developed in their more epic direction i think has outright said that the biggest influence in them developing that sound and moving out of the more extreme grindcore sound was Candlemass. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would probably rank this album. Well, not probably. I would definitely rank this album as uh, an... I think I would put it as an A. 
Okay. Joseph, can you live with that? Uh, I can. Uh, my vote would be for S, um, since it's probably one of my all-time favorite albums ever. But uh, you know, and if both of you feel more A, I'm I'm fine with putting it. A. I do feel more A. I'm afraid, but I'm yeah. It's, it's, it's the numbers, I'm afraid, but it is a very respectable A. <laughs> yeah. No, I I just I would be protesting hard if if it were B, but uh, A A's perfectly satisfactory if there was uh, between rankings i would probably put it between <laughs> an a and an s if that makes you feel better no no that makes sense um yeah and also it's interesting to know with that album that Candlemas has sort of had a weird membership trajectory um obviously like i mentioned nightfall and then onward with ancient dreams and such they had uh, messiah who much more operatic sort of style of vocals um kind of taking sort of a keen diamond thing just without the focus on falsetto because um, i know he he's definitely said king diamond is one of his biggest influences um but this one i think and it's kind of why i love it was an album i thought about putting it in here but i didn't because i didn't want to do something where it was an extreme metal that turned into less extreme um but like bathory during the viking era like hammerheart and and uh, you know twilight of the gods um, one thing I love about those albums is I feel like Hawthorne trying to clean sing and, and pushing himself perhaps beyond his actual talents and that pushing yourself beyond your means, uh, creates this kind of emotional tension that I really feel in the album where Messiah, I don't think ever felt like he was pushing beyond what he knew he could do. Um, and the interesting thing with that, the vocalist on this album, Johan Lindquist, uh, after this album just basically disappeared, and I think he was working with some rock and roll bands or stuff like that, but um, only not that many years ago, Rejoin Candlemass has, has done an album or two now with them, and hearing these songs live with him back in the band is such a treat, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that again at Hell's Heroes really plug in that festival um, uh and there's probably another band or two where i could probably uh, do that so <laughs> <laughs> so your next choice uh black sabbath mob rules um this was an odd one for me so do you want to just talk around why you picked it yeah uh i can already predict this might get thrown into b which if so okay uh <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's funny. I've been thinking about this lately that I pull, seem to pull up the Dio era Sabbath albums more than the Aussie ones of the last, I don't know, five years or so. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is, but I mean, I think that run of the Rainbow albums into Sabbath is some of just the most amazing you know, heavy metal and very early heavy metal that was ever written. And certainly I think the roots of epicness in heavy metal, um, like you go from rainbow rising, you know, through, um, long live rock and roll into heaven and hell into mob rules. I think that forms sort of the epic metal nature that then stuff like candle mass pulls and some of the U S power metal pulls, Certainly stuff like Manowar, I mean, especially considering uh, one of the guys I think was a techie for Sabbath for a while, when Dio was in the band, I think. Um, so I think just the impact of that 
and certainly a lot of the power metal bands look to the Dio era. Um, and it's weird, and this isn't going to be the only example of this, it's sort of a sister album, because when you think of the Dio era, most people do think of Heaven and Hell first. Um, and both albums have a very similar tr- tracking, like the way the songs are placed in the album, very similar, sort of in the same way, like if you compare Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, um, you know, where you have like a fast track, then you have something a little more groovy, then you have a big epic, and so on and so forth i think i don't know why mob rules personally i think because i remember getting this album first so it it had that impact but also just because of the dio era uh the song on this album the sign of the sun cross is just maybe one of my favorite songs of all time like i will put this on the car i mean it's a good long track almost eight minutes but if i have the time i will just belt out the lyrics to this song while I'm driving down and it's one of my favorite feelings I ever get just singing it it um if to those listening if you've never done it before check out Henry Rollins talking about Ronnie James Dio and there's just something about Dio when he's really hitting these epic moments that just makes you feel like a kid again and you want to grab like a towel and a like a paper clip or something and may turn it into a cape and you just imagine you're like this warrior or sorcerer on top of a mountain singing or cursing the gods like it's just this emotional uh, pull with what he's doing on these albums um and yeah and, and that's that song is probably what pushes it above heaven and hell for me. Yeah, so I listened to the first six Sabbath albums religiously, um, mm-hmm. and for a long time I never bothered with anything afterwards. And then I thought, well, I, you know, I should probably should like check out, especially the Dio era. Um, and it's kind of like as Tyler was mentioning with Iron Maiden to some extent, the magic of the first six Sabbath albums comes from the interaction of tony iomi and ozzy osbourne basically ozzy osbourne was like the vocalist for that band he's not as talented as dio by any stretch but he has an unmistakable voice and he brings that unmistakable glum drab miserable kind of thing that they became you know was so influential and sort of but you know part of the darker aspects of what they were doing compared to a band like led zeppelin or whatever with dio um that's when as you kind of mentioned there the thread of making heavy metal epic but you also get this brightness to it as well and this virtuosity and um theatricality and i think dio is obviously he's one of the finest vocalists in in metal and he's deeply respected for for that reason um but tony iomi's riffing suffers as a result i think there's fewer interesting riffs across these albums some of them feel a bit uh like he's on autopilot a bit and he is just kind of leaning on on dio's talents to sort of carry the song through which is fine like dio can you know he was easily sort of capable of sort of compensating for a a band like maybe you know only working at half their kind of abilities um not to say that there's not any distinctive risks on this album but it does feel like sabbath are going in a much more stripped down direct um sort of direction very kind of energetic but simple riffing that's used to sort of it's 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 interesting you mentioned that because I know and I forget the exact details but I know that Dio talked about when working on these albums with Tony like Tony changed his guitar playing 
Um, like I think he adapted certain styles or certain uh, methods of, of crafting riffs that he had never done before in Black Sabbath. And I think maybe that had been maybe uh, Ronnie bringing in some of the stuff he'd picked up from winning Rainbow being with Richie Blackmore. So mm. I think some of that, you know, definitely influenced those albums. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you could definitely hear that. And also, like, credit to them, there was, like, a second wind at this point, and they, they did kind of manage to keep up with the times. But, yeah, for me, it's just, it's not, it's not for me. It's a little bit too clean and a little bit too um, sanitized, I think. Like, I, I could fully respect Dia's vocals, but I think I do prefer his work with Rainbow. Um, and, yeah, the, the Sabbath is kind of, yeah, it just doesn't feel like quite the same band. I know literally it's not, but uh, the, the same members are kind of, yeah, they're just not bringing their A game. And it's partly because the first six albums are so important to me, I think. But um, yeah, so uh, Tyler, what are your thoughts? I've always said that um, I prefer Aussie-era Sabbath, but not for Aussie, that instrumentally... Uh, Aussie era Sabbath is more compelling to me. It's more dark and uh, nihilistic in a way, but that uh, vocally Dio era Sabbath is uh, far superior. I think that's already been thoroughly covered here, but obviously Dio is a much more accomplished vocalist than Ozzy is, in my opinion. Um, not just with his range, but also with uh, even his sense of uh, melody. And in some ways, that's both a good and a bad thing, in my opinion. Uh, a good thing in that obviously he has more skill in that area, but also a bad thing in that it opened up the avenue for Sabbath to let the guitars take a back seat and allow Dio to leave, lead the melody. And my problem with that, and this could just be a personal uh, foible of mine, is that when vocals lead the melody, usually the melody is more curtailed um, because the human voice, uh, unaided, you know, by any kind of uh, technology is uh, less, usually less capable, not only less capable of uh, crafting longer melodies, but also in order to be able to make sense of lyricism without just uh, fully engaging in non-verbal uh, vocal noises, uh, you uh, have to kind of shorten the melody. And you definitely get a sense of that on Dio era Sabbath in that it sounds more like the traditional idea of heavy metal um, than Aussie-era Black Sabbath does. It loses some of the uh, progginess, in my opinion. Not all of it, but some of it. Um, and it also loses some of that sense of it almost developing into a strange creature uh, throughout the course of a song. But that being said, out of the Dio-era albums, this is my favorite of them. Uh, I think it's an excellent album. It definitely uh, has a really um, powerful and enjoyable uh, sense of melody in the sense of just a good heavy metal album that I think stands above many other similar examples of just solid traditional heavy metal albums. Um, I, I'm a really big fan of the uh, theme of the title track, you know, if you listen to Fools, The Mob Rules, I think that's a pretty common sentiment throughout heavy metal. Um, and uh, D Dio is just one of those, Dio era Sabbath and Dio in general, I think is just one of those uh, heavy metal artists that however you feel about 
uh, heavy metal as an entire genre, um, you can have a lot of respect for the man and you can have a lot of respect for the material that he's done both as a solo artist and with uh, Black Sabbath and Rainbow. So I think this is a, a solid choice for anybody to enjoy. I would probably, on a personal level, as how far as how much I enjoy it, rank it at about a B. But once again, that's just my personal opinion. Mm, I was going to rank it as a B as well. <laughs> Sorry, Joseph. <laughs> it's fine. We, we We can put it there. I would put it between a and s but uh b is is perfectly fine i'm i'm well aware compared to ozzy sabbath it just does not have the uh you know cachet yeah um one thing i would mention um sort of an interesting comparison between ozzy and dio um i really recommend the dio documentary that came out a few years ago it's a really great look um across all the bands he was in and the material and, and give some interesting insight, like behind the scenes stuff. Um, but one thing that's interesting to note is I know Ozzy. And if you hear the first Sabbath album, you know, he's playing the harmonica on uh, the wizard. Um, and you can kind of think of that, you know, vocalists in terms of if they have any background in a vocal based or, or, you know, um, you know, any kind of air based instruments, uh, what kind of vocals do they have? And you can compare that Ozzy as a harmonica player to Dio, who was, by trade, uh, a trumpet player. And I think that kind of shows in terms of like how, by playing the trumpet growing up, that really had an impact on his vocals and the kind of range and way he projected his vocals. That Dio documentary is phenomenal, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I highly recommend it as well. It's a good watch. And, uh, and, uh, Shelly, I, I would recommend that one song that I mentioned. Like, just go back and, and give that a hear and, and see. All if, right, okay. If, if, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Manila, Manila Road, Crystal Logic. Yes, yes. Uh, and again, like I said, with, with the Dio Sabbath, I feel like kind of really bringing in, along with Rainbow, bringing in the epic nature. Um, certainly... I mean, it's interesting. I I thought about including something like Rainbows Rising um, because I really do think that's where it all begins. It's Richie and, you know, as Tyler will remember from that documentary, Dio and Richie's interest in classical music and wanting to bring that into, at that time, you know, heavy metal was barely talked about, but bring that into hard rock. Um, and I think that's really where you do get a lot of the roots, especially classical into um, heavy metal, like Rainbow Rising is probably one of the earliest examples of it. Um, but Manila Road uh, is probably most closely related to Sirith Ungol in that they're one of these bands of the quote-unquote U.S. power metal scene um, who never got a lot of attention back in the day. And it really, I feel like, wasn't until later bands started exposing fans, their fans to bands like Manila Road. Um and again, another band, especially because of the vocals, very distinct and for some people very hard to get into. Um, but part of the appeal is sort of this lost gem. I mean, you look at that album cover right there and it is definitely a bit amateurish. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of part of the charm. Like when you get like an old pulp novel and you look at the cover and it looks like some weird crazy fantasy thing um 
but then you know you open it up and you really enjoy it um the only downside on that album is uh the one song feeling free again which is sort of a love song which almost feels like it's tacked onto the album um that one feels a little odd but otherwise uh just start to end it's really great um they really do a good job of including certain choruses in the song that just makes you want to sing at the top of your lungs. There's a heaviness and a darkness to it too. It's not light and airy. Um, I mean, it is mostly fantasy based, but, but there is sort of this dark fantasy sort of feel to it. Um, and the pinnacle of the album for me is the most epic track, which is dreams of eschaton, which the lyrics have this weird pulpishness to it. It, Every time I listen to it, it reminds me of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, with Ralph Bakshi's movie Wizards. No, I'm not, no. Uh, nope, I'm I, familiar with Ralph Bakshi, but I haven't seen that movie. I think I've seen like uh, like clips from it, um, not clips, like stills and like uh, poster, movie posters and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, and for those listening, Ralph Bakshi was a famous animator who did a lot of kind of underground cartoons most famously animated uh, fritz the cat which was the first x-rated cartoon movie um but then he did wizards which kind of led up to what he's also most famous for which is doing that very first lord of the rings adaptation um which you know some people hate <laughs> oh it's, i people, love that <laughs> yeah and some people love it for its you know I mean, there's a lot of rotoscope used which that's usually the thing people either love or hate. Um, but right before that, he did Wizards, which, and and I bring it up because that song, Dreams of Eschaton, always reminds me of it, uh, because in Wizards, it's this premise of, like, nuclear war happens, which, again, is such an 80s thing. And in the nuclear fallout from that, a world of fantasy actually develops on the Earth. Um, like, wizards and magic suddenly like appears on the earth as life itself like regrows on the earth. Um, and there's certain lyrics in that song that just kind of bring that to mind. Um, and also it has one of my favorite, if I can very quickly find it, um, favorite lines. Um, do, 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 do. Oh, that's right. I typed it in wrong. Um, okay. It says, before the gods of hell sends you to die, remember well, my friend, a warlord never cries. I mean, I, uh, I just, again, and singing <laughs> along to that, it's just, it, again, it's a lot of like the classic metal. It's having these, lo- these lyrics that are accessible enough to sing along to, and it just gives you that feeling of transporting you from the mundane life into something like Lord of the Rings, something like these pulp novels of just, you know, epic, you know, good and evil and in everything. And and it's 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 magic is the best I can say. Mm. Yeah, Manila Road is a bit of a blind spot for me. Um like obviously I've been aware of them. They're kind of they are everywhere at the moment. They seem to have really kind of got a retrospective popularity as you mentioned, but I never really bothered with them. To the point where I might even withdraw my vote on this because I, I did listen to it a couple of times um, in preparation for the episode. And my immediate impression was, as you say, like it's it's my kind of metal in that it's not trying to ingratiate itself to the listener. It's very kind of rough around the edges, and as you say, the vocals are are in a quiet taste. They're very nasally, 
Um, but you can also sense that um, element of world building that you talked about where, yeah, they are trying to like invite the listener into a completely otherworldly kind of experience, but it has, it, you know, it has that kind of rough sheen around it. It's not a very slick or like big budget affair. Um, but beyond that, I'm afraid I can't say too much else intelligent about it other than I will definitely be checking more Manila Road out from that era because um, it, it's, yeah, it's something I should have done a long time ago. I'll say that, um, save for the end, the albums that came before it, like you can almost kind of think of it as their debut. It's not. There's like two albums before, but start from there and, and go forward with the later albums and they'll be more closely related. And I will say like the production and some of the characteristics that are maybe a bit grating do smooth out a little bit. So there might be a later realm that's easier to get into. Mm. Tyler, any thoughts on Manila? Christ's sake, Manila road. I can't say that. Yeah, this is unfortunate. I don't like Manila road. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I understand that I'm in a minority in that, in in that opinion because there are many friends of mine in the extreme metal scene and heavy metal fans in gen in general who love this band and they have a very respected place amongst fans of underground heavy metal today and i am not among their number uh, especially this album i i feel so bad joseph i just want you to know that i really respect your opinion you're a cool guy <laughs> Don't don't hate no, me too much for this. Can, we can so hate this album. It's fine. Don't worry. There's a lot of aspects of this album that almost remind me kind of melodically and in the energy and feel of an 80s aerobic video. Um, you're, and, okay, you're going hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it just uh, it just really doesn't. It's not my style. Uh, I can say that uh, I get why it's respected as much as it is, especially in spirit. Uh, you know, it definitely has like that kind of underground DIY. Nothing about it is attempting to be professional, you know, is attempting to be just cool enough to kind of appeal to, I suppose you can say normies as well as people who are into um, niche nerdy kind of things. And I admire that about uh, any artist who does that, including Manila Road. But musically, this album just does not grab me um, to the extent that I don't know if my rating should be taken into consideration. Uh, we, we might just have to let Joseph rate this one because I would, well, I'll just be frank and put it on the table. I would probably give it a D rating, but... Um, you also have to consider my tastes, uh, you know, that I, I definitely lean a lot more hard into things that are very uh, raw and um, not as happy as Crystal Logic can be at times. I mean, it's funny you guys mentioned like with this and the Dio album, uh, Happy, and I, and I get that, I do. Um, I think again, it's it's that epicness. I think it's less sort of like happy in like a springtime, joyful like mamas and papa song playing or something like that. And to me, that that happiness is more sort of like the thrill of battle kind of thing, um, or again that like standing on your mountain, surveying your kingdom kind of thing. Like it's. 
I mean, again, like the extreme metal connection, like I feel like um, at the heart of Winter Immortal onward, like this is where you get that, you know, Bathory Viking era, like especially the Dio Sabbath. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's that sort of, it's not happy in like a, the kind of happy I hate, which is like Death Heaven or something like that, um, in more that triumph of battle kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's why I was using the word bright rather than happy, because it's, it's undeniably brighter, but yeah, there's still, it's still heavy in, in the philosophical sense that Tyler mentioned. Um, so, given that I'm sort of abstaining, Tyler's gone hard with the D. Um, <laughs> should we, would, would an A be fair or, or B? I, I think, uh, you know, I don't think the band's going to be too insulted. Uh, we, we can put it, we can put it at a B considering that um, just the lack of either exposure or Tyler, you know, not, not really digging it. Um, the one thing before we move on, I would say about Manila road as well as Sirithungal is that the, it's interesting with someone like um, Fenris from Dark Throne. I feel like so much of the lost and forgotten classics of the 80s, I've discovered because of Fenris being such a fanboy and talking about that music. I know for absolute certain I discovered Manila Road because um, either, I forget what it was, but one of the later 2000s albums dark throne literally mentions it in the lyrics like you were listening to something else and i was listening to manila road like <laughs> and um and it's definitely that or fenra's name dropping it that made me check out that band um mm. and i feel very fortunate that i was able to see them a few times before uh, mark shelton died so uh, the unfortunate thing uh, is that manila road is no more um but yeah, yeah as a uh, as an aside i i don't know if you would know this or not but i believe isn't mark shelton from my neck of the woods over here in kansas like yes. from the wichita area he is uh, manila, manila road might be one if not the most famous band to come out of kansas which is also part of the reason why they didn't get quite so big because i think they've refused to try to move to the coast mm. Okay, so um, your next pick, Judas Priest, Defenders of the Faith. Yes, um, I have, you know, I have a pretty um, rose-tinted view on Priest in that I enjoy huge swaths of the discography with punctures of certain albums that I don't think are that great. (coughs) Point of entry. Um, (laughs) But uh, even that album, there's at least three songs that are really good, but um, the rest of the album's trash. Um, but Defenders is probably in my top four of Priest albums alongside Painkiller, Stained Class, and Sad Wings of Destiny. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, most people of that era and that time of Priest would pick Screaming for Vengeance. And it's certainly, I think, the bigger album because of the singles on that album. Um, But, you know, kind of when we were talking about, like, Bright and Dark, uh, I I view those albums as siblings to each other. And Defenders of the Faith, I definitely feel, is like the more nighttime album. Like, um, Screaming for Vengeance feels like an album to play in your car or when you're out and about during the day and defenders of the faith is the one you play at night. Um, there's just something very night 
toned about it. Um, and the other thing is there are a couple tracks on Screaming for Vengeance I would skip. And I don't think there's a single track on Defenders of the Faith that I would skip. Um, I think it's pretty flawless uh, of an album in terms of that 80s era for Priest. Um, hmm. And in particular, I know probably my first exposure to it. Well, actually, my first was I know I got like a Judas Priest compilation cassette tape was my first ever priest. And it had um, some heads are going to roll. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. But then not long after that, I think being exposed to the music video for Free Will Burning, where the band are playing with laser lights going around. And then a bunch of kids are like. Uh, nearly dying playing arcade games and headbanging in front of like old arcade sets. Um, and to me, th- that's still just an amazing sort of association. Um, so yeah, I thoroughly enjoy this album and I definitely pick it over screaming for vengeance because of the darker tone. Um, mm. in it. I'm yeah, I, th- I think I'm definitely team screaming. Um, because there are some tracks I'd skip on this album, but um, yeah, for me it's all it's all about seventies priest. That run from Sad Wings of Destiny, Sin After Sin, Stained Class is the the foundation of a lot of what we're talking about here in terms of heavy metal, um, and they can't really be topped. And then not to get sort of Hegelian on you, but yeah, they had a sort of pop, a misfortunate kind of flirtation with pop and pop rock through. Um, British Steel and Point of Entry and um, Hellbent Forever. I've done that in the wrong order, but never mind. And then they managed to synthesize the two sides of their like style with Screaming for Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith in that they re-injected the heavy metal. And there's some really, really quality, like just heavy metal riffs on here, some very, very creative solos. And Halford's vocals are, they can't be topped at this era. But also they're, essentially pop songs a lot of them um and they're very good pop songs at that well some of them are um i would skip love bites on this album i think and a couple of others but um, it's one of these where the first half comes out really really strong um the second half it does kind of tail off a little bit for me whereas i think screaming for vengeance is, is sort of consistent throughout um and just on halford's vocals as well there's um some footage from a British TV show called The Tube that was kind of one of the authentic competitors for Top of the Pops where the bands had to play live, where there's a performance of Judas Priest just after they'd released this album. And it's in quite a small little venue, small studio, um, and there's no effects or anything. um, And it is just them playing much like a sort of very underground band, even though they were huge at the time. And yeah, Halford's vocals just bellowing out and there's no no effects on his voice whatsoever and you really get the sense of the extent of his talent at that point um so yeah there's a reason why he's kind of one of the most iconic uh vocalists in metal alongside dio um but yeah for me this is the weaker sibling i understand what you're saying in terms of the darkness to it but yeah i can't i don't think i could rank it higher than a b just because there is there are some stuff on here that i would tend to skip um but tyler what are your thoughts I really enjoy this album to a large extent. Judas Priest is one of those classic heavy metal bands that I have a lot of respect for, for their place in heavy metal history. Although um, I have mixed feelings about their music uh, objectively, I suppose you could say, um, in and of itself. Um, 
you know, there's definitely sometimes a kind of a mixed bag you get with their albums, with some albums obviously having moments of developing heavy metal towards away from like the kind of uh, verse course, uh, like rhythmic chord strumming orientation of rock music prior to Judas Priest towards something that's more heavily guitar centered and with more melodic development. Uh, but then you also get um, kind of a lot of just like classic uh, pop uh, hook kind of hit singles on their albums as well, like on Screaming for Vengeance, for instance. I'm honestly more along Joseph's uh, lines of thinking with this album and that uh, I might uh, put I might enjoy this album more than Screaming for Vengeance. Uh, it's got some really cool moments on it that you can definitely hear its influence on uh, the kind of neoclassical strain uh, i use that term with like a strong sense of air quotes of heavy metal that came after it like these guys were kind of doing it first and that's uh fairly impressive like the one of the solo dual guitar solos on free will burning really kind of set the stage for that style of guitar playing and it can be an exciting and enjoyable record to listen to does it hit the level of profundity at least as as how i define it that i enjoy in uh, other heavy metal records or especially in extreme metal not really but they definitely had a huge influence on that strain of heavy metal even if it's somewhat distantly through influencing artists that influenced those artists um so i would probably put this album at um a b ranking okay that's two b's <laughs> three three rounds in a row in the bees but you know I, that's fine well <laughs> oh it's a taste what? thing i mean shelly and i kind of somewhat more overlap yeah. in taste and uh you clearly but, have a real big thing for uh classic heavy metal which is cool it's good yeah. stuff it, i mean it's interesting because because it sounds like from what shelly said if i'd picked one of the 70s albums it, it would have had a better chance of being higher and the thing with Defenders is, like I said, like it's amongst what I consider like my four favorite, which includes Sat Wings and Stained Class. And and I guess you'd say I, I easily probably would have picked Stained Class as well, but I tried intentionally to not pick the quote unquote proto metal. Um mm. And which is why I also didn't do like Rainbow Rising, because as much as I think that is such a pivotal album to metal trajectory, it is still in that court of 70s. I mean, just as well, I could pick some Scorpions albums from the 70s where it's so pivotal to what came later. Like, I think like if you want to know where Merciful Fate comes from and King Diamond, you need to listen to 70s Scorpions. Like it's it's there along with Zeppelin and Priest. Um so that's the reason why I didn't include that. And as well, I thought Painkiller would be a little too obvious. Um, so I went for Defenders. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a quality pick. I do I do spin this album a lot, but yeah, just um, it's not my favorite priest album. But yeah. Um, but yeah, your next album, though, Motorhead. Yes, and this is the only one on the list that is a live album, which I wasn't quite sure if we should include it or not. But um, I... It's funny, Motorhead is one of the few bands where I feel like uh, live, it just takes everything to another level. I mean, a lot of bands, I think that's the case, but No Sleep Till Hammersmith, I think, is 
potentially the greatest live metal album of all time. Uh, it has it takes all the songs, the classics of Overkill, Bomber, and especially Ace of Spades, which had only come out. You know, this was essentially the tour for Ace of Spades, um, and just rack it it up like the loudness the speed everything's a little bit faster um the energy the banter of lemmy um having i fucking love it like right before we are the road crew having one of the road crew guys come out and bellow into the mic um is such a unique touch um and i yeah i think easily because it's sort of a best of of the band up to that point it's certainly the easiest i think to get people introduced into motorhead um because it's just got all the classics i mean it's good the other thing too is as great of an album as overkill is i think the production on that album leaves it a little a little less heavy than it could be and then when you hear those songs and there's a lot of them on this it just it's like absolute steel hitting you in the face, like just a perfect live album. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the reason I allowed it is because obviously it's such an iconic uh, live album. Um, so I don't, I don't think I could really <laughs> uh, let you let submit it, but um, yeah, it is basically the motorhead at the height of their powers, the classic era. Um, and as you say, like them just ramping up all of those songs to, um, to such an extreme um and it really does capture that the, the mayhem of of the live setting for them and motorhead in general especially at this time they're kind of like the missing link uh, that we've been dancing around in terms of like you have the more epic kind of fantasy based metal and then you have the raw dirty streets like level punk side of metal that was evolving and motorhead kind of brought it all together but kept that dna of like the classic rock era from the 60s as well and obviously there's not a band that followed in the 80s in the kind of metal rock milieu that doesn't cite them as an influence and much like discharge you wouldn't have um metallica or slayer or any of the sort of classics of thrash um and by extension you wouldn't have a lot of death metal um and yeah you, you, into black metal as well with sort of you know venom and early hellhammer things like that there's their fingerprints are all over that and they're kind of one of these great unifiers in that fans of classic rock love them uh all metal kind of loves them and punk absolutely loves them as well and so they all come under the banner of motorhead and although their sound is very kind of basic and raw um you really do get the sense that they there's a hidden complexity behind it and that does come through on this live album as well that there's actually you know there's some songs that do carry more of like um a narrative kind of structure to them um that you kind of get a sort of hint of that here and there and they're actually sort of their diversity as musicians comes through it's not just hard and heavy and fast constantly there is there is like a depth and a feeling to motorhead that makes their sort of formula very hard to replicate um and yeah this this album basically captures that that moment from late 70s early 80s uh perfectly so yeah i, I completely agree absolute classic uh, Tyler, I think that a live album by Motorhead is the perfect album to pick. I prefer their live albums in many ways because with their studio albums, you often get the effect where uh, roughly half of the album or so will be really powerful, heavy, 
awesome anthems, and then you'll have another half of the album that is essentially Roadhouse Blues. Um, and I don't care for the Roadhouse Blues side of Motorhead as much. Live albums, they often curate their playlist to be a lot of their better material. Not entirely, but more. they focus on those tracks more. And then they also play them, as uh, Joseph said, with more energy, more speed, more power. So in that regard, I think this is a perfect pick for uh, this band in particular. Um, I'm a really big fan of their Everything Louder Than Everything Else live album, uh, because you also get the really good tracks from their later discography on that one. But this one is also an amazing album for the exact same reason. Um, so Motorhead, to me, is, for all of the reasons that Shelley enumerated, and uh, one of the best of the early period of heavy metal. They kind of stand on a league of their own with the power and energy that they put into their music, which may come uh, in large parts from them being having a foot in the world of uh, punk rock as well. Um, and they have this attitude that I think got passed on to almost all heavy metal after them in various ways of a real fierce um, independence and self-sufficiency, which I think is very inspiring and comes across in much of their better music. Uh, I would rank this album as an A. Oh, okay. I was going to say S, but... I'm going to vote S. Okay. I am perfectly happy with that. It's a good album. I think that any (laughs) self-respecting metalhead should own it. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Um, So, I don't have time to fully discuss Raphael's albums. So what I suggest we do is I'm just going to rank them. And then if I put something somewhere where you don't agree with, we can discuss it. Is that fair? I definitely agree with that. Let's just like do a quick group ranking of each of these. Uh, Right. So we've got that. That's good. I agree with that. Yeah. Don't know about that one. I would rank it lower, but uh, I could understand putting it in an A. Yeah. Yeah. The Blind Guardian is not for me, but I understand it's a very good example of what it is. Well, while while we're putting up, we should probably mention it to the audience what we're putting up there. So, yeah. Sorry, Melissa's gone into the S tier because it is a stunning album from start to finish. As is Break the Oath. Abigail, I put in a. I, I might have ranked it lower, but again, it's more just because it's not for me. It's just an absolutely outrageous album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, King solo Diamond solo stuff is just. I mean, the one, as... th- the one thing I, I will say with Abigail that was uh, the first King Diamond album, even before Merciful Fate, I got, and yeah, it took me a while to get used to it. But that was one of the few albums when I was still not fully. Uh, torn from the religious upbringing I had. So when I listened to that album, I actually thought I was listening to something like spiritually dangerous. Um, and, uh, and that album will always have a bit of joy in my heart for having done that for me. Yeah. I mean, you don't even need to be religious to get that sense from King Diamond's vocals. They are utterly <laughs> unique. Like, yeah. They're a little bit, uh, yeah, they could be a little bit on that, uh, kind of, uh, weird and spooky side. Uh, yeah. blind guardian for me, it's like, they're not for me either. I would rank them above other power metal bands because I do think that they are popular for a reason. They know how to construct a good sense of melody, but they all are also to me kind of a one trick pony. So I, I, uh, uh, in their defense, uh, I'm, I might be the biggest blind guardian fan here. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it. And that 
is a particularly favorite album of mine from them, but uh, I definitely can concede just because of the taste that we have that that would be a B album. Um, mm. It's it's good. It's maybe the darkest album they ever made. Um, the interesting thing with it, they went to, I forget his name, uh, Rasmussen, the uh, producer who did Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, and it kind of feels like uh, an album that has that production kind of feel to it. Um, so it's definitely an album I would kind of recommend if someone was like into thrash and be like, Oh, you should check out this from blind guardian. Um, yeah, I didn't hate it. There's definitely moments on there that I, I really enjoyed, but it much like the Abigail it is, it is a lot. And that style is just an acquired taste. I, I would almost argue more so than a lot of extreme metal. Um, just mm-hmm. because there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack, but it's very distinctive, especially with like the vocal style. And it's very dense as well. Um, so yeah, next up, Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind. Um, I know we've kind of already discussed Iron Maiden, and I think I know where Tyler's thoughts are on this album. But I do I quite like this album. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick it as an A. But I think you both disagree with me, don't you? Um, I it has one of my favorite songs, "To Tame a Land," which they don't play nearly enough live. Um, but it does also have songs that I could care less for. And compared to number of the beast or power slave, I'd much more often pull either of those two albums than this one. Oh, see, I'm the opposite. I think I prefer this to the two albums either side of it, but um, okay. And Tyler, you're not really a fan of this, are you? No, not, not entirely. Is this the album with the trooper on it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I will say that's the first song that I ever, uh, or legitimate heavy metal song that I ever learned to play on guitar. So that's cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would probably put this album as a C album. It's just not the period of Iron Maiden that I enjoy. I'd, I'd put it as B. Okay. Well, staying as a B then. Um, and Iced Earth, uh, just, oh, flat earth, should I say? Um, I'm going to put that in a C because <laughs> uh... it's kind of like... I roughly like agree with it. That I, I think average it's average thrash metal with really annoying vocals and power metal flourishes to it, which, as I've already said, I don't really like. So it's just kind of like uh, an album I don't find that interesting and actively tries to annoy me. Basically, I was very partial. It's funny because Blind Guardian and Ice Earth were sort of the first metal bands I discovered outside of like the really big names like Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Megadeth. Um, and at that time, you know, when I was thinking, oh, what was a contemporary metal band? I was getting exposed to new metal because, again, late 90s, early 2000s. So hearing Blind Guardian, I sort of was sort of this like, oh, my God, this is amazing. There are bands that still sound like what, I, in my mind, a metal band should sound like. Um, and I think that's probably Iser's best. Um, personally, just because that's a band that has not aged well for me, I would maybe put it at B, but if you guys want to put it at C, I'm, I'm fine with that. Tyler? Yeah, C works for me. I'm not a really big fan of this album. Like, uh, just your run-of-the-mill speed metal chug riffing is something that I really kind of bores me after a while. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got one in the C tier anyway. Um, sorry, Raphael, uh, but we did put Melissa in S tier. Uh, so, um, so yeah, thank you very much uh, for joining, guys. It's been an exceptional discussion. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for listening. I, um, well, as Jason always mentions, uh, check out the video on YouTube to see the uh, 
the tier list that we've created here. Um, let us know what you think in the comments. Um, as always, be as honest as you like. Um, but yeah, Joseph, it's been awesome having you back on. Great to get your input on this. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Great hanging out with you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. And Tyler, um, as always, absolute pleasure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Really happy to have Joseph on for this one. I think this was a good episode to get his input on. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've definitely proved that it's not all pizza fresh. Um, so if you're still listening, Jason, uh, <laughs> I hope you're encouraged to maybe check these albums out again. Um, yeah, and thank you very much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. Goodbye.